used to getting what he wants. But this time, he wants revenge. His bad side is a dangerous place to be. Timothy Dalton is James Bond in License to Kill. Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond has been... Uh, I'll think of something, I'll put it in the edit. All right, we're doing this watch along. We're just, we're full steam ahead into this one. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what James Bond has been doing this week. I was going to make a joke about Brosnan's chickens, think, but that was last week. Uh, has he has he been sitting in a chair imagining everything? Yes, that's a good point. Yes, well, he's got a needle in his head. Thank you, Kerry Fukunaga. All right. So we're doing the watch along thing again, and we have 31% of the audience to blame for choosing this week's movie, which was Ben's selection of License to Kill. Um Will it be a sweet 16 for James Bond? We will find out. Uh, so this week, it's the same group as ever. Uh, Bill, Ben, Lisa, Calvin, David, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command. Hi, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6 Confidential and MI6HQ.com, and I apologize for what is to follow. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I am an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond with Klaus Dodds and editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And I'm Calvin Dyson. I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel where I discuss and review all things Bond, films, books, games, you name it. And I'm David Lee. I run the jamesbondossier.com. And I think I would rather be strapped to a chair by Blofeld having a dental drill uh, um, piercing my <laughs> head at the moment than watch this. But uh, there you go. Hmm. Well, you're, you're in good company. You're though, welcome. David. You're welcome, David. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, next, okay, time, next time you go to the dentist, next time you come to the dentist, we'll all we'll all turn up and do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And the dentist asks, "Is it safe?" all right everybody at home have you got your copy of license to kill ready to go on leo the lion sorry i called him larry last week i think got that one wrong so ben as you voted uh for license to kill you get to do the lion roar that's your prize oh that's fantastic (laughs) all right all right so is everybody ready i'm gonna hit play ready three two one play well my lion is frozen which is fantastic at this point i'm i'm thrilled well here we go with the uh, return of the electric guitar after 12 years in the gun barrel um Mm. because it had not been using the gun barrel since the spy who loved me Mm. and i think at this point right after it opens up we hear the voice of michael g wilson that's right might just catch the bastard yeah that's his that's his cameo for this film um i mean the, that opening line you know dialogue really sets the tone for the whole film doesn't it <laughs> well i mean michael g wilson is the primary writer of the movie because 
in the first trailer, um, it just said screenplay by Michael G. Wilson. And huh. Um, well, that's because of the writer strike, right? Uh, yeah, but 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 Maybaum had contributed to the plot. Mm. What had happened was uh, Wilson and Maybaum worked together on the plot. Then the writer strike happened in '88, and then um, Wilson did the primary writing after that. There, I've seen a title page. I don't have it. Title page for the screenplay that says screenplay by Michael G. Wilson, story by Richard Maybaum and Michael G. Wilson. And then at some point. After the strike, I don't know if Richard Maybaum filed a uh, agreements with the Writers Guild, but his name did get put on. But this is primarily a Michael G. Wilson script. Huh. What's interesting one about the- this as well? Sorry, I just uh, I, I, one I I do really like Michael G. Wilson's uh, writing uh, for for Bond. I think he does a very good job of this. But one thing that I was kind of thinking about with this film is that this is less of a James Bond PTS than it is a Felix Leiter PTS. This is kind of like a a look into what Felix's life is normally like. The alternative adventures of Felix Leiter. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the earliest, um, appearances of a Bond villain in a Bond film. Hmm. It's like literally within the first two minutes. This is not a, this is no Dr. No, is it? Um, That's right. The Adventures of Felix Leiter, starring I just David like Hedison, to say this. special guest star <laughs> Timothy Dalton as James Bond. <laughs> the, the guy that Sanchez captures clearly, clearly punching above his weight. <laughs> um, although here they are in Bond's Jamaican uh, hideaway. The same, uh, same. Yeah, same it is, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. And a uh, Fleming bit coming up with that uh, tail that he uses as a whip. Mm. Uh, so that, the, was uh, that was done by Milton Crest in the short story, but uh, that goes to uh, the main villain uh, for the movie. I believe, was it called something like... Um, it had a, a stingray had a, or something. Wasn't it? No, but it, it had a it was name the, for it. The, the, the Punisher or something, wasn't it? The Punisher—it wasn't quite the Punisher, but it was something like that. Uh, some fans, please uh, write in and let us know what, I, what I've forgotten. What the, the corrector. Um, the corrector. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the corrector. Um, uh, um, which is quite nasty. Nasty. I think it's. I think it's interesting that we went from the abuse of Lupe Lamora at the hands of Sanchez to sort of flip to an image of Della Leiter to sort of compare and contrast the types of relationships that they have, and yet both in white dresses. Yeah, and then ultimately, though, the there still is violence that both of them have to endure. But I think it's an interesting comparison she, that's being Della's, made between the two. Della's and, got uh, white, white privilege. Um, she doesn't have to uh, to endure this kind of thing, whereas a person of color has to uh, has to be whipped by her by her drug dealing boyfriend. I think is the implication here. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Kerry Fukunaga uh, modeled his wardrobe after Sanchez's. He was not wearing <laughs> socks there. <laughs> Let's just hope he doesn't have slow slow motion in No Time to Die. What a strange shot, isn't it? Like, there's no other shot like it in the film. Yeah, uh, much and it less just cuts to those two doofuses just standing there like. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that Felix Leiter wasn't the one at the front. Like, he was sort mm-hmm. of a little bit behind the guys. Uh, the, wh- whoever they are, running towards. Yeah, he, and he's in action, but he's not leading the action, whereas Bond tends to lead the action. I think that's an interesting... Yeah. You, 
But, yeah, usually you put the slowest person up front as the pace setter, wouldn't you? Yeah. So. <laughs> but looking at this, it, it looks like it was inspired by the A team. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's even a ramp at one point, isn't it, where the jeep goes over? Um, well, I think that's one of the criticisms that was sort of leveled at this film was considering the time that it was made, and you had films like Die Hard out, and um, you know even Aliens had been made by this point, um, that it did look a little bit made for television, um, mm. and the production values on it aren't necessarily as sharp uh, as some of those other uh, big kind of. Uh, uh, tempo movies. Well, they were under budget uh, constraints. That's why the main uh, the main studio was in Mexico City uh, instead of Pinewood, and um, they were trying to economize quite a bit with this film. Oh, there go the doofuses! So they made out okay. Um, <laughs> we could have them back in a future film. Yeah, <laughs> that plane. That plane that Sanchez is in, well I, well, I take it back. I don't know if it's that plane or the one where it hangs from the helicopter here in a few minutes. I, I think it's the latter. I've seen that. That's the they found it Foundation as, has it. Yeah, they, it was recycled as like half a billboard or something. Hmm. Yeah. Like, it's like sticking out a billboard like an effect and they rescued it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, little Cessna, I believe. Um, nice, little, nice little aircraft, nice little light aircraft um i think davy is actually um a, a pretty good bond villain i mean I, a lot of the criticism that was kind of leveled at, at it at him and at this film particularly was that you know he's just a drug dealer he's not after world domination um his kind of scheme is fairly small scale in terms of what we've seen for in bond before but i think he's a believable villain um and it's a bit of a riff a, on kananga's plan i, isn't I was it? thinking the yeah. same thing he's not the actual leader but he's the power behind the throne in the country of isthmus uh, mm. i think that's jake lombard who's uh, doing that aerial stunt um yeah i remember some comment um, on the back lot when they were filming the inserts that Happy somebody like said, chicken. take him down. He looks, he just looks like a chicken. How do we feel about the gray suits? I think the, no, no, um, that's it. Uh, the, the wedding outfits they just are just look completely like awful. They look like they've been hired from, you know, from a hire company. They don't somewhere in Florida. No style. <laughs> Yeah, mm. they don't. They don't look w well fitted. I, th um, I think the, the the clothing yeah. really dates this film. It, it's uh, mm, it, it's yeah. very very uh, late eighties in, in look. I think the hairstyles as well. I think yes. this is probably the worst Bond has ever looked in a film. Uh, Timothy Dalton just he always just looks scruffy, and it's like God. Yeah, this is how you've got yourself dolled up to go to a wedding of your friends. It's um, but even later on, like even when he's wearing the tuxedo and stuff, his hair's just kind of slicked back. It's yeah, he's not very. Uh, it's a very bad look in the, in yeah. the, in the, in the casino. Uh, the question here: is the Eddie how, did, look. how did how did how did Lighter pull his ripcord holding both? Morning, both, right. both hats. Well, that's maybe, both, that's both maybe hats. how he broke. It. That's how he almost maybe broke his ankle during the during the sequence. But I like the emotion that's here. I love Della in this because she's so emotional. 
Felix looks like he's so happy. And I think Timothy Dalton's really conveyed the joy. And I know that we're setting ourselves up because anytime there's like significant love in a Bond film, we know that marriage is unsustainable and so forth. But I really like the way that they, even in the pre-credit sequence, like I feel the love, I believe the friendship, um, Mm. even though this film is dated and all Mm. that stuff, but I buy that like trio of a relationship just from the outset. Well, we mm. talked about this on a previous episode. We were speculating that Della and Bond might have had something going at some point, and then uh, she ends up uh, um, getting into a relationship with Felix instead. Um, she kisses because, him on the lips. Yeah, that's Twice. that's that, yeah, that's what prompted the uh, that Gee. speculation. Is it an actual uh, tradition in America that the best man gets to kiss the uh, the bride? Because I think that's no. in here, isn't it? Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> Never heard of that tradition. But yeah. I've seen on oh, okay. other movies, and again, I don't know if they're actually based on fact, about like in particular parts of the world that, you know, that the leader of a particular, you know, group of people would be able to like sleep with the new brides. I'm thinking Braveheart. Does that happen in Braveheart? Am I making that up? Mm-hmm. Where like the leader of whatever force would be able to sleep with the new brides? I don't huh. know if, if it's based in fact, but I've seen it m- at least manifest in films um, mm. as, as being sort of older films or way back when films as being like a mm. trope. Um, mm. I just I just want to interject quickly and just say the um, the license to kill drinking game uh, that was invented by myself and a few of the uh, Bond Forum people uh, for this particular film is to drink whenever the the, the words license to kill are heard, uh, which mm. includes um, <laughs> which includes this title sequence. Oh. Um, so uh, I think it said something like twenty three times during. <laughs> during the uh, the intro uh, and 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 i think maybe only once if at all in the rest of the movie so the idea is that you just get absolutely tanked in two minutes <laughs> uh, and then the rest of the mm. film is just hilarious mm. how do we rate this uh credit sequence obviously marie spinder's last go at it i've always found it quite uninspired myself um, wow. Yeah, he's phoning it in at this Yeah, point. he was kind of running out of ideas, I think. Um, <sighs> did he die in 90? Um, I mean, this this wasn't just his last Bond. It was like pretty near the end for him. <sighs> it seems very lackluster. Mm. I, I, I'm not Certainly, inspired. Yeah. And it, there's, it's like there's not enough bodies, even though I, I definitely have a critique of women's bodies as being you know this appetizer for the film but there's so little um mm. yeah I was, I, I was also wondering if the prominent uh image of the camera in the titles was related to a product placement deal well oh, it's yeah, strange because they have like polaroid uh, photos and stuff it seems to be really going with that as a theme and later on obviously yeah. bond's camera gadget um well it doubles up as a gadget but aside from that photography isn't exactly a big right. part Mm-mm. of the film right. <laughs> Yeah, that's why. Yeah, because it's like just about the first thing you see in the titles. Uh, mm. It is. Yeah, you're expecting this, this camera to be this big plot point, and then it's yeah. It's not. Mm. That's yeah. I think to your point, but I think Binder was kind of phoning it in at this point. Mm. The character yeah. of of uh, um has a certain Felix quality. You kind of feel like he could have been cast as a as a Felix in a in an alternate kind of bond timeline 
And I, I, we haven't actually mentioned yet, and I'm sorry to be doing the rounds on the obvious bits of information and trivia, but this is uh, David Hedison back as Felix Leiter the first time that a Felix had come back. Um, notably, they didn't just get John Terry back from The Living Daylights. They went all the way back to David Hedison. But I think it's it helps. Cut, in his, in, in cover, his contract, he, 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 would, he, would only, he, would only, he would only come back if he could get married in his windbreaker. But I think there's a, broader, there's a broader connection here. I mean, license... Not, uh, live and let die sorry is technically like a source novel for both films mm. like the shark attack scene happens in the live and let die uh novel so for me it makes sense to have the same felix lighter mm. um who play play the parts from from both um films that are based on the same source novel at least that's a connection i've made mm. Mm. That's, that's all right so we're we're 12 13 minutes in and we've seen all the principal cast now yeah oh wow yeah uh, well, except for Dario, if you want to consider him principal. No, we've like, seen that, Dario. That's a stretch. Yeah, we've seen Dario. Him. Dario. Well, that's right. Yeah, he cut the guy's heart out. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, he does true. disappear for two thirds of the movie, but yeah. yeah. Um, um, whilst we're on casting, quickly. Um, so I, I forgot about this completely, but everybody remembers Running Man, right? This Schwarzenegger hmm. movie. So, um, Cuban actress Maria Conchito Alonso was she originally agreed to play play Loopy, and then she changed her mind. Hmm. And that's when they cast Talisa Soto instead. But apparently when she was cast, she was going to be more of a villain. Hmm. And uh, they softened her character up when they cast Soto. Hmm. She's actually quite an interesting character in the fact that quite a lot of the information that Bond needs to take um, Sanchez down is is provided by her, um, which, uh, which we'll kind of yeah. see that sort of later on. Um, and for those kids watching at home, that's a CD-ROM. <laughs> that's when we used to store data on discs these things that span around mm-hmm. yeah it was kind of the latest technology in the late 80s <laughs> yeah um i'm i'm marginally ahead of you i think because i had uh, technical difficulties so i'm just going to pause for a moment um and, until we get to uh to a, to a point that i can recognize um So, you know, the majority of the filming on location was at Florida Keys. The rest of it was in Mexico. Yeah. One mm. of the things that they, they say to us, have you been fairly treated, Sanchez? Um, as he's being put into the, the truck. <laughs> it, oh, it's always yeah. a line that just kind of struck stuck with me for some reason. Have you been fairly treated? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that dancing. Um, God. Yeah. This wow. is actually how, they, um, how they're going to, um, to free... Um, Julian Assange when, when he was transported. <laughs> they would reuse the insert shot of the lighter later in the movie. Yes. But I love that Felix Lighter and Della the, Lighter, the lighter the lighters. The lighter, the lighter, lighter, lighter. Oh my <laughs> just, gosh. Yeah. I love it. What's uh, Can I just say about the lighter, what's really interested in is if is it's... Is it heavier or is it a lighter, lighter, lighter? <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the thing with it is that... Um, in in a Roger Moore movie, it would be um, it would be Q equipped. This would be a, a gadget that he would be using um, later on to uh, to dispatch to spoilers uh, to dispatch the villa. Um, but but here it's it, it's a um, it's a gift, you know, and it's right. kind of interesting how this is part of their way of kind of bringing less gadgetry into it and making him more kind of self-sufficient. 
Um, because I, th- I feel like in another movie that would definitely have been a, you know, the flamethrower cigarette lighter. Hmm. Right, and it's a gift, and not only is it a gift, but it just happens to be on the wrong setting um, mm. or adjusted, you know, <laughs> the flame was really tall. Mm. It reminds me a bit of the radio uh, joke that Bond makes in Skyfall when he's like, oh, mm. like, it's just, it's a small radio. I think this is like a precursor, but the difference is, is that it's not something given to him by Q. Instead, it actually is like an artifact of significance. So when Bond does something with it near the end, he is avenging Felix Leiter by using the lighter. Mm. No, it's great. And it's part of the arc and it works better. It, it's better for that. Um mm because it would it would have it has more significance and it and it actually gives you that that beat of of recognition as well which you wouldn't have got if it had been a supplied gadget yeah i know you say you don't like this film david but there's some underwater sequences here to enjoy yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did say I, I did say that the first half an hour I, the first half an hour is pretty good about to make a oblique reference to honor majesty's secret service yeah um as I say, I'm I'm I may slightly be out of sequence with with you guys, but um, um, this uh, I'm I'm seeing Dave uh, uh, Sanchez being rescued at this point. So, um, uh, I'm just on ahead. Bond's driving away from Felix and Della's yeah. place. It's me too. Yeah. Same. Oh, okay, right. So I'm slightly mm. actually I'm behind. You're behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Felix Felix is yeah. carrying her across the threshold and just met two heavies. Right. I know this is terrible, but whenever he, whenever she throws the uh, uh, thing to Dalton, I always think he's going to sniff it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know he's I was thinking that too? Hold it a little too long. It's like well... <laughs> this this whole thing where um, where they get confronted by Sanchez's men is really quite horrific because we know um, Della's fate here. Um, and it's not a good one. Uh, I, I, I think that this marks the difference between, you know, Roger Moore's tenure and, um, and, um, Dalton's because you just couldn't have that happen to a character in a, in a, no, but to be fair, it's, it's, you know, Kareem Defoe getting mauled by dogs that we watched last week Mm. was probably Roger's darkest, um, moment in this series yeah. i'd say wouldn't it? well that's just it isn't it it's like um on paper just, it's, it's not much different from you know the countess getting um killed in fior yeah. eyes only for example it is just how they handle it the staging it's it's got a much crueler edge to it uh or, in uh, or luigi in four your eyes only where yeah. he falls dead and you know got the bloody neck that was yeah that wasn't yeah. exactly light-hearted <laughs> humor well i think there's something mm-hmm. different slightly different about the fact that you know luigi is a it's an MI6 operative and a man. Right. It's a B. Um, as opposed to kind of uh, an innocent uh, a, a woman who's kind of, um, you know, sexual assault and, and rape is a, is a pretty heavy thing um, to, to kind of bring into a, although this is a 15 certificate, or I guess what's what's the US version of that? PG thirteen. PG thirteen. This got a huh. this got a fifteen certificate in the in the UK, which um, so I was yeah, which is why I couldn't go to see it. Yeah. PG thirteen was invented uh, as a rating around eighty four because there was the uh, there was one of the Indiana Jones movies where the were some intense scenes, 
and it was like not enough for an R, but it seemed a little intense for a PG. So they came out fairly shortly thereafter, roughly around 84, 85, with the PG-13 rating. And this was the first Bond to have that rating. Um, I think the yeah. rating system in the UK sort of is, is slightly more forgiving. You get parental guidance, you get 12 and 12A. Um, so 12A was Spider-Man. Um, mm. and, and you get... Um, has 15 gone now? Um, no, no, it's still so there. You get, so you get 15 and then you get 18. And I think yeah. those those are actually a fairly fairly more uh, better rounded kind of uh, rating system. Sorry to go on about rating systems during this, um, well, this rather exciting it's, it's moment. Funny, it's, funny well, about ra- it's funny about rating systems that, um, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I always used to uh, take note of what the ratings were of films. But as an adult, mm. I, I'm just not aware of it at all. Yeah. <laughs> it just exactly doesn't impact me, obviously. Yeah, sorry, Bill, you were going to say... Oh, I was just going to say we uh, we meet uh, Milton Crest, played by Anthony Zerby, an actual mm. Ian Fleming character from a short story. Mm. You know, he's like making a. I was. Uh, with, uh... I would. I would say also that um, I don't think you. You know, when, when Calvin was talking about um, Hedison coming back to play this role, I, I don't. You needed somebody who could actually play this part, like this this death scene. Mm. Or, or, or rather, sort of pseudo death scene with uh, conviction. Um, I don't think John Terry would have pulled this off, and I don't think it would have had the same emotional resonance for the the audience. Yeah. Mm. If it, if it I had just want to point it. out this is this is the good old days where you could just pull up with your rental car to the front of the airport, leave it there. When you walked in, there were Pan Am desks as well. I was about to say, this is, and this is the last appearance by Pan Am in the series. You know, they had been the official airline of the James Bond series. Going ticket back is in no. his ticket is in his right breast pocket at this point, and then he reaches into his left breast pocket to retrieve the ticket. Just a well, little continuity gaff. That's for you, why people. people listen to these. Was Dalton right or left-handed? Uh, I believe Dalton's right. Right-handed. I think. Um, all right. I think all the all the bonds other than Pierce. Although I don't know whether Pierce might even be ambidextrous, but um, he tends to sort of occasionally favor favor his left. I, I mean, I like how they it, use handheld handheld cameras here too. Um, Agents are trained to, to shoot with both hands. Mm. In general, and guns. law enforcement. And guns. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, the handheld works really really well um it's it's used sparingly enough in this in the series to kind of um you know be used at the right points i'm glad um, they didn't try and replicate the goldfinger shot like they did in quantum for this yes <laughs> but i tell you i feel more emotion from dalton crying over della's death than i did for lazenby with uh the death of tracy i just think mm. that he emotes a lot better um, and, and, and sort of shows us just how sad it is that she's dead. Mm. I think we also have, um, in a, with a character like Della, you, you've, you, she has a little, only a little screen time, but we manage to get a real sense of who she is and, and, a and an, and an affection and an, uh, and an affinity for her character. So we feel that 
casting her was 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 an important choice, you know, to get the right person to be able to go to feel that with Bond. I think it might be a bit overhanded, though, and I, I feel the same way about Sharky. I feel like they kind of double down on making these characters really likable, really bubbly and fun and charming, only to kill them in mm. quite horrible ways so that you feel something. Uh, it does feel a bit manipulative. The fact that Sharky's yeah, last name is Dead Meat also is a kind of... <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's I a love real Sharky. Chum. I would have had him back yeah. as like a regular. I, I really like this guy a lot. Yeah. What's yeah, he was... Frank McRae? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sharky Bake. Here we, here we have the Keystone <laughs> Cops. Yeah. yeah. I think he. I think Frank McRae had been a maybe he'd been a football player at some point. Yeah, I think. So you got to. So you know, Felix gets a lot of criticism at the end of the movie for like, hey, everything's great. Let's go fishing. <laughs> you know, they shot it on the same day. Right? Oh, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, one minute he's in the oxygen mask, completely beaten up and <laughs> on the death's door, and then all right, we're gonna do scene 154, David. All right, yay, let's go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just a relief to take the oxygen mask off. <laughs> Would this have been stronger had Felix actually been killed? I know that obviously they're trying to stick close to the book and everything, but at this point, he won't appear again in the series until it's rebooted anyway. So right. I, I I feel like the, the whole thing is about Bond avenging his friend, yeah. but it feels Reboot. kind of detached because it's like, oh, I'm avenging my friend, but he's still alive. His wife's dead, which is very sad, but he doesn't seem to be too bothered about it by the end of the film when he's yeah. sort of flirting yeah. with that nurse. Uh, Rebooted uh, with two shoes. We're about <laughs> to see... Um, Milton Crest again. I was just going to say about Anthony Zerby. I mean, he was born in 1936. He's still with us. Has played many, many villains, usually. But mm, don't say it. as a as a promotional thing for the film, though, Nickelodeon invited these kid interviewers into the Florida set, <laughs> oh, and 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 they they did interviews. And and uh, one of the interviews was Michael G. Wilson and Anthony Zerby. And the kid interviewer is asking about the increased violence in License to Kill and Michael G. Wilson's, you know, his usual self. Well, you know, it's uh, there's always been violence in movies. And, uh, you know, and, and then he says, you know, Bambi is violent. And then <laughs> then Anthony Zerby sitting next to him starts to make a face and he, he acts as if he's about to cry. He says, I never got over Bambi. And it's like <laughs> Anthony, Zerby doing, Anthony Zerby doing comedy. Who would have thought? Um, One of the things I like about this little scene here is that he thinks he's a bigger villain than he is. So he's starting to show yeah. Bond the operation. Like, right. let me, you know, let me show you around the workings of my operation. Bond's just walking off. Um, it's going, you know, he does that. Oh, oh. <laughs> if he was Stromberg, Bond would be paying attention. Well, just uh. a second ago, Bond had looked down at the floor. And then we, you know, as he walks away, we then see that flower from uh, uh, Felix. So for carnation. years, for years, I didn't understand what he had seen on the floor. Um, really? I thought it was like a head of cauliflower or something. <laughs> what is it that that he has seen that has uh, that has alerted him to this to the fact that Lighter was actually there? Um, yeah, but, and, but uh, having having said that, Ben, when I got married, I had a head of cauliflower pinned to my jacket. <laughs> It's, and, but for ages, I was just like, what? He's just looking at some rubbish on the floor. Why is that significant? <laughs> but then, you know, it, was, it wasn't until, I can genuinely say this, yesterday when I watched this movie again, <laughs> um, that, that I went, 
Oh, it's oh, it's his buttonhole. Oh, okay. Hmm. Right, so and and the and the nice touch is as soon as Bond sees that he's he's done. He's seen all he needs to see. Right. Yeah. Because exactly. Milton Cress is still doing his shtick, and mm. you know, yeah, he's, he's still, the game. The game is already given away. Yeah. So they've used a real. Jumps, yeah. This is the problem with this film: is they used a real shark for the shots of the mauling, right? Yeah. But for this bit, they use a fiberglass shark, <laughs> and it's so obvious. Mm. That, uh, that they, did, they didn't even need to show the shark. Yeah. That fiberglass shark was uh, on display at uh, Designing 007, um, and it looks worse uh, <laughs> in real life than than I can than I can even possibly impart. Uh, it's 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 almost unrecognizable as an actual shark. Um, Talking about sharks, the because nobody's uh, allowed in the water around here at the moment, uh, there was a shark uh, scene just off a place that I used to go scuba diving. So, uh, huh. yeah, I don't fancy going in the water there at you'll, the moment. You'll have to scare, scare them off again. When we're I've, actually, back in. I've actually been in the water with a great white shark before. Mm. And I have to say, it's not, it's not a pleasant experience. Yeah. Uh, this was in Australia. And I managed to get out of the water in time. Um, and all of the other Australians, I, I ran out in panic. Um, and all the Australian kids were standing there um, knee deep in the shallows, just sort of like, you know, completely unfazed by it. <laughs> Whereas I was, I was terrified mortally. Oh, God. Um, oh, I've been hit in the face with rubber maggots. <laughs> not, e- not even not even particularly convincing rubber maggots at that. Yeah. it did always gross me out as a kid the sequence that sequence bon appetit just seems like a really odd thing to say to a guy you just punched in the gut he's not i mean he's you know bond is so so strong that he just houdini punch somebody and uh i was thought you were saying it to the maggots that's yeah, what yeah. I guess. Yes. Yeah, they're gonna feast. No, no, I, I, I mean the fact is that he just all he did was punch that guy in the stomach and throw him nah. over his shoulder. <laughs> somehow, somehow he's he's now deceased. Knocked him out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so in the novel *Live and Let Die*, I always assumed that there were far more rows of like these aquariums. Oh, maybe mm, it just seems to be like a very empty set. Compared mm, to, and my mind is very active, so I've got a very imaginative mind. I, I just, just assumed say, it was rows and rows. I, yeah, I was if you didn't, if you didn't a... catch it, there's going. If you didn't catch it, there's about to be an electric eel. Real <laughs> 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 no, I, 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 I think you're right, Lisa. So my um, my impression was that there were there were rows and rows and rows of tanks, but you know. Uh, and he was like going between rows and yeah, and yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, just these long, long rows of, uh, of fish tanks, and it's just, uh, yeah. How many? Is that a so what is killer? For, what, what is killer for doing back there? Uh, he's <laughs> waiting, waiting, uh, yeah, waiting he's to waiting. be picked up. Because waiting to be picked he, up. Yeah, uh, three hours. Be on the next, he was going to be on the next uh, mini sub. Uh, Out of there. Yeah. Area. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, I think this confrontation between him and Kilfer is is pretty good, actually. Um, I, I, I actually like the uh, the dispatch line. I think it's um, it's not done with any kind of lightness from Dalton, um, which mm. you know um, I, it's fitting for the for the film, for the tone, and for the scene. You wonder whether 
and you know a, a different actor would have you know been a bit more kind of throwaway with it hmm. throw away love it <laughs> it is so nice lo- though that he throws it at him and gives it you know he Kilofa has the choice of like, do I grab the money? Do I keep both hands on the chain? It is it is a nice character thing that he just can't conceive of not having the money, so he lets I go. I love and... the fact that Kilofa also says, rather than just say, take the money, he says, I'll split, split it. it with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're not in a negotiating position at that point. <laughs> Also, in that last scene, um, um, Sharky gets the humorous line, such as it is, what a waste. And like Bond's puzzled and he says, the money. Mm. Um, I love the fact that sharks are always hungry um, and whatever (laughs) falls in front of them, they will eat. Yeah. Um, So, what what was Bond doing here? Was he just kind of going to pick up some like. Some like knickknacks or something. Some, some lark. <laughs> he was on his way for a packet of lark. I've got to say, the costuming. I mean, I know Calvin said earlier that it, oh, oh, oh sorry, um, I think it was Bill that said it, it dated it um, particularly, but. Um, I think it was me, but. Bonds? Oh, sorry, David. <laughs> sorry. It, um, I, th- I, think, I think it is sort of, I mean, it obviously is dated, but Bond doesn't look bad in this scene you know he's got this mm. it's, it's a nice sort of <laughs> sorry I, I think that it sounds like that opinion is not universally held well, <laughs> let you guys hash it out I can't get over the hair the hair is the thing in this one it's, it's, it is bad hair I will, I will yeah. grant you that um, obviously yeah. everybody knows that this is uh, Hemingway's home mm. um, uh, but, it- but like Calvin I'm, I'm not going to not Say the obvious, <laughs> <laughs> and a curious build-up here to M. It's, I always found that quite yeah. strange with the cats and everything. It's a unnecessary reveal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's M, and we've seen him earlier. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, the guy uh, walking around the turret with the machine gun is not going to attract tourist attention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting how everybody who's from MI6 is dressed in a three-piece suit they must be absolutely dying uh, right. in, the, in the florida kind of, it's not just hot there but it's obviously just immensely humid um but everyone else from the cia and even bond is just kind of like in their you know their casual kind of tropical style attire hmm. but they're all just dying that that's how we know that they're english even the guy <laughs> even the guy later on in isthmus like their man in isthmus is in a three-piece suit it's like <laughs> Is it the goal, you know, to separate Bond from, say, the company? Because this scene is basically when he's like, well, screw the double O license that's been revoked. I'm still going to go out and do what I have to do. And I think that it, yeah. it's a very interesting twist. I mean, being a rogue agent and going, going rogue, everything that you do is then technically a crime. Um, mm. I think that's an interesting component. But I think, like, the costuming of Bond dressing down at least leading into this is suggestive that he's going to step away from the service. Um, he'll, he'll be proven to be right, but I think it's a visual distinction between them. Mm. It, well, proven to be a, right up to a point. He, he also like, ha, you know, causes a major screw up of a major, you know, intelligence. Operation. Operation. Well, we'll get onto the body count later of yeah. all the people that get killed because of him. Yeah. Right. Um, 
and I think Lisa brought this up in a previous podcast um, that yes, once you've had your license revoked, um, you are technically anything that you do is um, is unsanctioned, and therefore he's he becomes a murderer um, right. mm. rather than a government. Yeah, agent. but he's also he's also an isthmus layer, so so it's all right. Um, yeah, here here they actually uh, carry over something from Milton Crest in the uh, short story because uh, Crest is clearly three sheets to the wind at this point. He's, mm. you know, he wants to have sex with Loopy. I'm not, but anyway, he's clearly drunk, and that was uh, part of the Crest in the it's, story. It's good drunk acting from him. Uh, mm. uh, I have to say, you know, it's um, a lot of people when they play drunk, they kind of overdo it. Um, he genuinely. He, I mean, just the, the the way he's like kind of playing with that controller and yeah. Mm. Um, but but again, uh, the violence towards women um, in the film is uh, from certainly from the uh, from the bad guys is uh, it's not shied away from, and it's uh, you know it's one of the things that kind of makes makes it a little kind of uncomfortable watching, and um, it's quite distasteful. Bomb does it really. too. When he, he does, yeah, um, with, 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 with Carrie okay. later on, yeah. yeah. Well, and with Loopy coming up, mm. you know, he has a knife to her throat. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, – and, and one, of the, one of the key drivers of, of, of that, which, you, you know, um, Carrie Lowell's character says to him is, you know, it's not all about your personal vendetta. So everything he does, really, all morality is rescinded. Uh, in when it comes to um, yeah. getting his revenge, where did you Bond know, next, get that manta ray disguise? I was going to say the, the next costume party for James Bond. That's, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> you know, that's that's not from Q. Like he presumably stitched that up himself. Mm-hmm. I think he. I think he went out. Maybe, maybe that's he what caught, he was shopping for. He could, yeah, yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> um, maybe he caught a manta ray and just hitched mm-hmm. around underneath it. Um, no, it's a good, it's a good, good. This guy's job in this movie is literally just to use that joystick and and look <laughs> slightly perturbed. Mm. Um, the uh, it looks like Wet Nelly. She's coming mm. into the a little bit anyway. Um, first, of, the, first the official murder. Yeah, I was about to say, Bond drowns that guy. We don't see him again. Yeah, no, he's dead. Um, so uh, that's that's murder number one for, <laughs> for James. I guess I guess all of this this stuff oh, that he does as well is just kind of like, um, yeah, no, he's look. I don't think he's doing too well. <laughs> hmm. It's, but he is he conscious? Are we no, going to allow? Oh, he's he's yeah hiding. Well, at the very room. least, it's attempted murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely assault. Yeah, <laughs> and attempted murder is probably like you know pretty reasonable. And he's trespassing. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice bit of foreshadowing the way that he goes. I know where Crest keeps his money. Um, uh, it informs him of his decision to stick the money back into that pressure chamber later on. Um, yeah. 
I like how the guards didn't notice his, his scuba gear and uh, all this water everywhere on the floor. <laughs> oh, he's alive. He is alive. Hmm. So that's not, there's no death right. yet. So, yeah. uh, Uh, good to have your name on your door. The way the way Crest drinks, he probably needs it. There's probably another sign on the wall that says "This I way actually, to the bridge." Uh, <laughs> I, I actually know somebody who got so drunk they broke into their neighbor's building, thinking it was their house. <laughs> oh God! I I know somebody who who stole someone else's mini. Uh, because the keys keys to old minis used to pretty much work on all minis, and they got into the wrong mini. Yeah, that's nasty, isn't it? The knife to the throat there. That's uh, that's that's not an idle threat. Hmm. His wetsuit. And he's also holding her hair down, pulling it like she's yeah. naked. He's pulling down her hair, holding the knife to her throat, and he's looming over her. And he does the same thing with Bouvier. Um, and so, so yeah. I mean, there's it's not just violent imagery. There's there's also like a sexual component to it as well. Yeah. And I think that's what I find disturbing. And I think that's the difference. I've had a few people, you know, online um, comment, well, you know, she deserved it talking about the treatment of women i'm like but when there's sexualized violence or a component of that then it's no longer simply like event like avenging somebody's bad actions with violence it has a different level and it actually translates differently to the audience the message is 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 different Mm. this guy definitely deserves a a crossbow whatever there is a Spear gun no. to the the guy that killed Sharky. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not entirely sure that I'm exactly at the same point as you guys are, but I'm near enough, I think, um, mm. to 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 not be uh, too out of sync. Um, yeah, I'm just about Bond's just about to shoot the guy. Good stuff, because he really deserves it. I don't know why I dislike him so much. Um, there is something all, about the guy's all, voice or face or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Of, all the, of all the minor characters in Bond, he's the instant hate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Right, because there's some characters that are instantly likable, and he's the polar opposite. <laughs> the second you see him, it's like, this guy's a nasty guy. Uh, nasty. Things are about to get. I mean, if you think about, I'm going to murder this guy, and then I'm going to jump in and use his scuba gear. Like Mm. that's forward thinking. You're not real necessarily planning two steps ahead. So I've always Mm. found that just to be like incredibly. It's better than like the tire that you're trying to siphon off some some air from. This seems to be just like a step above that. Mm. Not not exactly, but it it reminds me of Connery grabbing the mask off the guy and. Clearing it uh, during the underwater fight in Thunderball. Obviously, during a time of uh, a worldwide pandemic, we would recommend against using someone else's scuba gear. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I'd actually recommend like trying to break into a, a drugs baron's yacht as well, and also <laughs> recommend against trying to steal a plane. <laughs> yeah, well, there is. But that. this whole sequence is beautifully choreographed. From, mm-hmm. I mean, it just doesn't let up. I mean, it's one of the best sequences, action sequences in the series. I think. Mm. Oh, particularly wise. when he comes out of the water and water skis with no skis. I think that's quite a quite a stunt that is often overlooked. And, and I love the way I, that. I, 
that scuba the scuba divers were falling off and i know that that's the proper technique but i always thought that they looked a bit clumsy doing it even though it's the proper technique like you always think mm-hmm. like someone's gonna go after someone you would head dive first I, that was just a comment it made me giggle um i i think one of the nice things about um this this particular sequence is that you've got several lines of action happening you know you've got yes. you've got um the plane you've got the the little kind of uh, drug sub you've got the wave crest itself you've got underwater action you've got above water action to keep all of these very disparate um elements yeah. together yeah. and make it you know still kind of work and and to keep a, a a sense of geography in the scene as well, um, it's very and Bond's difficult. working it out as he goes along. Mm. Yeah, um, and and we the audience kind of work it out with Bond as it happens. So it's good. It's fair, I have to say it's very good uh, direction because it would be very easy to to lose your sense of where you are and what's happening. Also, Bond um, is fighting for his life, but he still has time to uh, start stabbing at the um, the drugs. You know, again, this guy. At at this point, I think he realizes this is, you know, why not go down in a blaze of glory? Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great shot of him stabbing. Oh, and then he stabs the camera. That's a nice touch as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. I'm I'm serious. Yeah. I love uh, it. But it shows, I mean, when you think about what stabbing is as a type of death, it's a very intimate death. You have to be very, very close to, you know, utilize, you know, a small bladed weapon in order to do it. It also takes a lot of effort. And so Bond doing this, he is letting out some of his anger and his frustration and his passion and even hitting the camera. It is an act of passion rather than just, you know, I'm going to take their image away from me. Who cares if they can see or not uh, at this point, but he's doing it because of his, his anger. And and I like it. Yeah. Hmm. I like it too. I think it's, it, it, tells to his emotional state rather than the fact that he's kind of being professional. He's, he's, he's driven by anger. This fight is really good as well. Um, it, it could teach Thunderball a thing or two about Mm, how to do. Um, you just want to rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) But also the fact that this, this particular stunt that, that Calvin was talking about the, the, the behind the, the, the thing, uh, the pl- the plane water skiing, it makes sense. It's not just a stunt for stunt's sake. It sort of, you know, it's great that they can can do this. But the the way that it ties into the the action, you know, the fact that it is a yeah. And how uh, else is he going to get away, right? I mean, yeah. that's the... um, and also when later on when Sanchez is questioning Crest about what happened, and you know, he says he he water ski behind the plane and got on it. it it's <laughs> just away like a little bird. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, think, I think the thing that lets it down there though is, is the, the James Bond theme. Uh, I, th- I think it would have been mm. better off yeah. without. Hmm. Yeah. Was it's it's being prominent at the time, by the way, like I know that Bond films tend to like pick up on trends that are happening elsewhere and it's, and I like this scene, but I'm wondering if water skiing was picking up in terms of people's um, knowledge and then it was sort of integrated in. Does anybody – I don't know my history of water skiing, I'm being honest. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would say – I mean, I can't say for certain, but certainly sort of around the, the 80s, sort of a lot of these kind of more um, sports that required money <laughs> – 
to be hmm. able to do mm-hmm. um, right. kind of gained popularity, I suppose. Um, and also I think that um, this isn't, this is, it's always taking things up an extra notch, isn't it, with Bond? So to be able to kind of water ski, but then without the water skis. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, right. just, it's just that evo- yeah. Uh, elevation of, uh, of, of things. And Bond, do, do, by little, little, do little planes, there, yeah, do little planes have emergency door releases? I'm just <laughs> curious. <laughs> mm. Well, this like, guy's did, obviously. Oh, <laughs> they may as well have like pilot ejector handle or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that dummy wasn't exactly the most convincing. But, <laughs> right. but, 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 but uh, a thrilling sequence overall. And oh, Bond's got some money to play. It's almost with. like confetti the, the, uh, coming out of the plane. I, I quite like Bond's attitude towards money in this one. We always think yeah. of him as being very, uh, you know, he likes the finer things in life. He's always defending capitalist ideologies, all that kind of stuff. And yet in the books, he does he does like the finer things, obviously, but he's not. he has a bit of a something of a disdain for money. It's expressed in a few of the books. And here, like when he just tossed in the briefcase full of money with Killer for earlier on, and there on the plane he's just tossing it around like it's nothing i i think it's quite nice i think he's got um a fairly easy come easy go kind of attitude towards it and one of the mm. things in the in the novels as you as you mentioned is always that he considers money earned through gambling to be found money and therefore mm. um it doesn't have quite the same value it's great that he's got it but um if he doesn't have it it wasn't his to begin with is kind mm, of right. his attitude. Well, um, yeah, it helps that he's got a private income, though. <laughs> well, well I, there is that as well. That attitude also is sort of like Terrence Young and Bob Simmons in real life. They were both known for like spending it as soon as they got it. Uh, mm. uh, yeah. Um, one of the one of the things about that though is that um, you know he's not being financed on this mission. You know he doesn't mm. have the backing of um, of the government. So to actually have uh, relief Sanchez. Yeah, he's got working capital, but not just working capital from anywhere. It's working capital from the villain. So it's kind of it's nice that he's actually spending all of this, all of Sanchez's money, in order to take him down. You know, yeah, every time, so. every time he's passing a tip to somebody, he's uh, he's actually kind of like giving a giving a you know a, a finger to uh, to Sanchez a little bit. <laughs> right. And, so uh, here's a major plot kind of issue i have with this film is that it was fine for bouvier to go to felix's house to have a meeting earlier mm. and when they want a follow-up meeting they have to do it at after midnight at some seedy bar it's like <laughs> yeah it's not well it's because not. felix had just gotten married oh della won't understand i'll have to <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to meet uh, pam somewhere else it's also nice that it means that they have met previously, so he doesn't have to explain who he is. She's seen yeah. him with Felix, so she knows, so she's able to say, oh, where's Felix for this meeting, rather than go, who the hell are you? Um, you know, it, it's a it's a shorthand, really, to have, have met have them met earlier. But I agree, James, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. And and wouldn't, there wouldn't have been a memo around the CIA that Felix had been... Mold and was in now, hospital. Here's the question: Was yeah. Felix in the CIA, or had he switched over to the DEA? The DEA. Well, um, still, I, mean, I think you know, in, in in the era we are of contact tracing, you'd think somebody would let her let her know. That's fine. Yeah, and here we're establishing yep. that she's tough because she's got a shotgun under the table as opposed to Bond's pistol. How did she get it into the bar? Don't. 
ask. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's also very phallic in nature, and it's very much on trend for what's happening in terms of action films uh, with women around this time, about being presented as being uh, far more tough, exuding either muscularity or some sort of phallic masculinity, herself looking... Um, I mean, I have issues with the... Uh, uh, makeover that's going to happen as if she's not good enough as she is in this state that she has to chop her hair, become a lot more sexualized um, in order to quote unquote play the part. But I think the way that she looks now is definitely aligned with what was going on in action films. And then I question if her aesthetic femininity actually takes a bit away from uh, her character. I kind of wish that she just didn't have the makeover portion and she started out with her um, uh, short hair because I think she looks beautiful as, as is. I just, I've always had an issue with, with that, but I do link her, her gun here as being very eighties phallic Mm. um, showing that she can hang with the guys. And I think it's interesting. It happens in a seedy place where it's women's bodies that are being exploited. This is, this is presented as like like a masculine uh, sort of space. So she has to play the part and look the part and play the role in order to um, uh, occupy space uh, and exude the type of performance that we expect a hero to exude um, in an action film in this time. Yeah. Mm. For for Dario to get kicked out of the Contras, he, he, he sucks at fighting. (laughs) Dario, Dario is he's very with a knife. That's that's yeah. what got him kicked out. But he's, what he but he's with that not knife. though, because he because he does that little affected flick thing that he yeah, that's does, what I mean. He does it like four times in the movie where he kind of like holds it out to the side. Um, well, but, he's most effective when other guys are holding the guy he wants to exactly. Well, cut quite, off. yeah. <laughs> there's there's no one here to hold Bond or or Pam. Yeah. So. Um, Nice round no. hole that by the shotgun. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens when you fire a shotgun. Exactly that. Um, I I do. I like um, Del Toro's performance in this. He's, you know, he's he's a great piece of casting. He's very memorable. He's um, only twenty one when they filmed it. Uh, yeah. he, he was he's very so young. young. He was born in sixty seven. Um, now for Bond to miss by two feet at that range, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's not great. At the, at, the, at the end of Spectre, he's like plinking mm. them off from a mile away. Well, that's all in his mind. Oh, that's um, true. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a just a quick line on that Spectre sequence. Um, I I I asked um, oh, what what was the, the the memories of that that moment, and um, he actually split his trousers during that scene. Um, That's right. So, so I always think of that. Um, hmm. Here's some less than convincing studio work. Um, they're supposed to be out <laughs> <Right>. on the <laughs> little splash. Yeah, there's a guy there. like there's a guy throwing buckets of water like six yeah. feet away from them. Yeah, and, and somebody else is uh, <laughs> operating a fan to. Uh... <laughs> I like what uh, what what um, Pam Bouvier is saying to him right there. She's basically like, I did save your ass, and you know everything that she says to him is completely valid. Um, and you know, he's also fairly patronizing in a way, you know, she has, she's a, she's an accomplished agent. She's a pilot. Um, he does the lighting change here. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, they're about to start making out and, uh, like, but they just (laughs) knew each other, but 
there was a trope going back to the 60s that uh, women were found certain, you know, lead characters so irresistible, they'd start making out almost immediately. And it's not just Bond. I mean, Bond did a lot to popularize that. But you go look at like '60s and early '70s TV shows. It's a it, it's it's a major trope. It just mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's the, one of the biggest mista- the- biggest biggest mistakes in the film is to have them hook up so early. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially when she um, she denies him affection through majority of the rest of the film. Um, and I think that that would have been, it would have made more sense to have had her just be not interested maybe, in maybe, him. Maybe it wasn't that great a first experience. Although as a counterpoint, I suppose that helps explain why she's gets so jealous later when he, she finds out that he had slept. They with could Luffy. have, they could have had that dynamic without them hooking up here. Hmm. Yeah. I, I completely, I'm, I completely agree. I'm just tossing out ideas. I, I don't yeah. disagree with you. I just, uh, I'm just. Well, it we, does feel like a bit of a box ticking exercise. Like he hasn't slept with anyone at this point. I don't think, unless I'm forgetting. No. So well, this That's is the right. first conquest of the of the film. It does feel yeah. a bit arbitrary. Yeah, and he's got to got to honk his horn there at least, and mm. and now and all of a sudden it's like the sun's coming up. Yeah, <laughs> this, is how, this is how London used to look, people. Um, and we're about to see our final appearance of. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget the actress's name. Is Caroline Bliss, day. but yes. Caroline Bliss, yeah. <laughs> You just encapsulated it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see these things. Who's your favorite money penny? And they show the different ones. I show Caroline's like, don't do that. It's, that's <laughs> no. Does anybody ever What's say it? her, though? Like, I've never, I've never had somebody passionately you know be like, I like Caroline Bliss. She's number one. I won't mm-hmm. say she's my favorite, but I thought she was fine. I mean, you know, th- I mean, she had big shoes to fill. I mean, you know, because she was. Yeah, and Lois Maxwell didn't do a, did a no favors by talking shit about her in every interview she did. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but like in the Living Daylights, I thought she was very funny, and and it's like mm-hmm. the, the line about her Barry Manilow collection. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that, that makes me cringe, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, lots of pictures of uh, um, Pedro Amadala's junior on the walls mm. um as i'm sure everybody knows ben i'm pointing out the obvious um karim bay's uh son he had dropped uh, he had dropped the junior by this time because mm. in the titles he just says pedro armandares i mean of course longtime bond fans know he's not the first one but mm. um oh she's mad um, <laughs> Uh, she's got um, she's got a nice costume on here. It reminds me a little bit of the costume that um, is going to be Indiana worn Jones. in. No, in uh, I was going to say in um, uh, Spectre when they go. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Some uh, some years after uh, this movie, uh, Carrie Lowell was on an edition of uh, Celebrity Jeopardy, and of course they slipped in a James Bond uh, reference for her to mm. give a que- you know answer with a question. Mm-hmm. I spent a day with Carrie Lowell once, and I have to say she's an absolutely lovely lady, um, and mm. um, was had a, until that point not done any kind of Bond uh, fan related thing, right. um, mm. and so she was a little bit reluctant to kind of talk to to people, and she she confessed that she sort of assumed that everyone was going to be 
sort of a little bit crazy, but um, she yeah, wasn't she, far off. Then, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't far off. Um, but um, yeah, she was. Uh, she was. She was um, great company, and I think um, hopefully um, that sort of maybe changed her mind a little bit about uh, about fandom um, hmm. and. Easter bond. <laughs> Here's some money. <laughs> he really is throwing around Sanchez's money. Well, I, 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 it's what I love about it. It's like every single moment he does it is, is uh, even when he's at the casino, if he loses, Sanchez loses. If he wins, it helps him to kind of, you know, so, beat so, Sanchez so, more. So. so so contrast his behavior at the hotel where he gave the big tip with with lots of bills to Moonraker we saw a month ago and much right. more stiff the guy in Rio. <laughs> So this and is um, this is a beautiful location, isn't it? Um, it's a post office, isn't it's it? It's a post office, but it's a stunning, stunning place. Um, mm. One of the lovely things about shooting in in somewhere like Mexico is you've got all this incredible architecture. Um, although, obviously, I like how I like so. how the manager of the bank has to count the money. Yeah. Like he doesn't have people, he doesn't have people to do that. Mm. Double take pigeon. <laughs> he does a good double take. Yeah. But he should have gone and gotten a makeover with her, like that haircut. What? He, no. he, he had sex with her, and he surprised she looks good. Wait, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> he could have got a haircut, couldn't he, Calvin? For, for the he money that he could have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a shirt that instead of that badger badger wig that he put on. Uh, um, <laughs> Wayne Newton has. A you know the funny. The, the funny thing is, though, it's actually harder to maintain continuity when you've got that natural-looking hair versus it having it just been cut. Mm. Mm. That's why Craig has his, had his hair cut so short in Skyfall. It was for continuity because they could yeah. keep it simple. Mm. Yeah, because if it blows around, people have got to continually brush it and put it into place and. Well, and trim uh, it because it grows. Over a nine-month well, shoot, sometimes on TV shows, you know the part changes on a lead character because in sometimes they're like to save money they're like reusing shots from a previous episode watch their hair change in the mm. doesn't happen with bond but you know just something you'll you notice over time Truman lodge always reminds me of a kind of a, a budget michael j fox right <laughs> and the actor and the actor's name is anthony stark tony stark he's very active on twitter actually or he used to be oh uh, uh, Apologies, Tony. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> is this a set? This uh, casino that they're in, or is this a real I, location? I don't know. I, I suspect mm. it's a location. Um, Dress, dressed as a casino. Dressed mm. as a casino. This this is a set, uh, Sanchez's office, obviously. And I mm. recall they, they had to lacquer this wood to within an inch of its life to get it to yeah. kind of shine so, like this. In past watch-alongs, we've talked about the meanings of the paintings on the wall. I don't think anybody's done any analysis of Sanchez's <laughs> office. <laughs> hmm. um, By the way, in, in talking about that one real place that was made up to look like a casino, for the uninitiated, that's what the set decorators are for. They take hmm. uh, the sets that are built by the art department, and in some cases, they you know take the same set and make them different things. And like right. in the case of a location, they're taking a you know real place and making it look different. 
mm. um, than what it really is. So just a salute to the set decorators. A hundred percent. A friend of mine did set, set decoration and it's incredible to know that you can actually have exactly the same location in a film um, and just have it dressed differently and it becomes somewhere completely different. We're now uh, seeing Don Stroud as uh, what was his name? The character's name. Um, Kella. That he's got the stingers. That. Uh, oh uh, yeah. Hella. Hella. Heller. Heller. Yes. Yeah. Well, Colonel. I can't remember his. And it his, looks like yeah. Don Stroud's got a hairpiece on. Um, hmm. But he also was like on tons of U.S. TV shows, almost always as a villain. You know, one thing just struck me is this is the second film in a row where they have like a discredited U.S. military person trading weapons. Mm. Hmm. Yes. Um, with with perhaps and a character that could be taken out of this film and would not change it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering the yeah. purpose though of the iguana on his shoulder because it reminds me of like Sarah Connor in like the original Terminator in 84 but she loved it and it was sort of her baby um, and so it had like a different meaning there showed that she had maternal qualities but here he has it he has it dressed up with the necklace I don't know if he's suggesting that he's like Blofeld or that he likes his iguana more so than he likes Lupe Lamora um, but it's interesting that it's so prominent uh, they didn't have to have this 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 animal. They obviously brought it in um, and have had like having it shot in a very particular way. Any thoughts on the role of the? Yeah, animal? I'd say Sanchez doesn't have any physical deformity as a villain, so they had to kind of give him something to. Huh. I also and they, and they also I make al- the iguana like a payoff at the end in the final scene. Mm-hmm. Mm. I also think that um, one of the things that uh, drug cartels or, or the heads of drug cartels tended to do was have a, an excess of money so they, they quite a few of them had um pet tigers pet tigers <laughs> or you know they would have um i forget the, the, the term for it. it's not zoo it's a, a menagerie um so they would have these the, you know these uh, these kind of menageries of animals and i think that in some senses this is a way to sort of show that he's just got more money than he knows really what to do with. And he's kind of, and it's sort of a, when somebody doesn't have, (laughs) when somebody doesn't have any taste necessarily, um, they, (laughs) they trans, they transpose exoticism for, for taste. (laughs) Diane Sue, I think her name is the female Hong Kong narcotics agent, which we see here in the background. She's also in the title sequence. Hmm. She's Those one of the dancers in the title sequence. Unconvincing extras in the background there. Like, sorry, the, I was muttering they? about. I apologize. I was sh- muttering about shaken, not stirred, where uh, Pam is uh, making that hand gesture for uh, shake <laughs> to uh, show yeah, how yeah. how, so, how mm-hmm. upset try she do, is with Bond. Uh, try doing mm-hmm. that in a noisy bar. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> it's very gifable head- if you uh, put it on repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't. His hair is just so. So, but I love the fact that she's like, oh, oh, oh fine. Okay, well, I'll just drink it. <laughs> oh, I um, love her reaction to it. Oh, is it here? Or is it later on when she takes a sip of it? And I think it's not like it. it's up cup right now. Yeah, she downs like, the uh, yeah. whole thing and just goes like, oh. And she's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> 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 I love it. 
Although I think all of this would be far more effective, like you said before, if they didn't have the relationship thing before. I like the idea yeah. of her being annoyed at him for being, say, unprofessional or for flirting instead of staying focused and then having that blossom into a relationship versus the way that the film pits these two women against each other and Bond has to pick yeah. by the end in, in the final scene who his woman is. Um, I've never sort of been a fan of, of, of that. Um, so I, 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 I think it may have been, it would have been a little bit more effective. And I think Pam would have come across as a more competent agent mm -hmm. if there wasn't sort of this level of jealousy, uh, being put mm. through. Mm, I agree. It's a strange thing to do when you get introduced to somebody is walk over and look out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I also quite like the, that um, that shot as you go in. You see Truman Lodge first of all, and then it kind of the camera sort of slightly um, pans to uh, to get in Sanchez. It's sort of a it's not quite a point of view shot, but it's almost like you're yeah you're walking in with him, hmm. and it's a sort of a it's an interesting reveal for Bond because this is essentially the first time they've met, even though he's um, arrested him. <laughs> Yeah, nobody recognizes him from the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like so, after after that moment, you know, when when they've uh, landed, um, Bond has literally no interest in following it up. You know, after after the wedding, it's like, well, you know, you've arrested him now. I just, I, I just put the thing around the plane. It's it would be surprising that he didn't kind of have any contact, but you know, I guess then the whole film wouldn't happen. So. Hmm. This is interesting. They have to keep Dario out of this whole chunk of the film because he'd recognize Bond. Yeah. Hmm. Where is what's Dario supposed to be doing at this point? Acquiring the stingers or what what's what's going on? Is he just he on took holiday? A few days off. Took a few days off. <laughs> Sharpened his knife. Hmm. He's been furloughed. By the way, with the teller on his tuxedo, he doesn't have a an actual bow tie. What is that thing? It's, I, I've never worked it out. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that the the, the fellas at the suits of James Bond will know what yeah. that is. Mm -hmm. It smacks me of something kind of Texasy. Well, it's it's I like will, uh, I, I I can't actually afford a bow tie or a string tie, so I'll just put this piece of cloth right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's I think that's um, you know more of a more of an American. Um, tie. Um, I think it does. That's what I, I think mean, it's, that's, it just reeks of Texas to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you say, James, the, the guys over at the, the, the Bond suits, etc., will will know. Um, but um, I think it's more. It's probably their of, least favorite film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no, we don't so, want to comment. Well, I don't Dalton's, know. Bond, um, Bond's tux is respectable in this. Well, it's interesting. You should you should talk about this briefly whilst nothing else is happening um is that um that dalton said that he didn't really believe that bond for this film that bond wouldn't really you know have all of this money to dress that impeccably and um i i believe that a lot of the suits that he wore in this film were kind of off the peg kind of suits rather than uh um you know tailored suits hmm. um this is a bit of an unusual um, dinner jacket to be honest with you but um you, know, well, you say that yeah, I, that that's a, an, an awesome cover story for the budget problems right but 
we get to see the ninja tuxedo again mm-hmm. in a little bit, right? Mm. Yeah, which we he had in Living Daylights. So who has a rip away signature. dress? She mm. wore that to the audition. A similar thing to the audition. Mm. Huh. Well, no, it was Talisa. So one of the it's, women wore a, 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 a dress like that to the audition, and then they put it in the film. Also, I don't hmm. think it's rip away. I think it's like a zipper. Yeah. Yeah. And she's uh, she's oh. got that additional jet fire or bobcat. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's a jet fire in her purse as well. Mm. Um, Least one of the, one of the guys old on... person stunt double. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it was uh, the Tchaikovsky on um, on Twitter who said that it was um, a reused wig from A View to a Kill. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Carl Morton. Dr. Morton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Desmond Llewellyn's um, good here. He does the whole wacky inventor thing really nicely. So following on from Living Daylights. And he did the same thing in GoldenEye before they sort of uh, made him a Mellowed. bit more stuffy again in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Uh, he's he's much more avuncular in this in this film, uh, hence being your uncle. Um, yeah. He, he, does, he does tend to have that kind of more jovial quality to him, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he gen- and, and there seems to be much more genuine affection for Bond than, than there has been same previous films. Hmm. Mm. This is his and best also, role in the series, I think, for sure. Some would yeah. argue is his worst because it's the characters too far away from. Hmm. I like it though. I, yeah, like, it. I, I like it too. Yeah, I like it as well. And I also I also quite like the chemistry between um Desmond and um carry i think that they they mm. uh they seem quite quite good together on screen they 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 you know later on when they're walking away on the on the on the dock together there's quite they just seem quite nice we're on a covert off the books mission here let's take a picture together <laughs> <laughs> well not only that but they had powerful x-rays so how much radiation does that thing <laughs> right well the the X-ray is so strong that it can take uh, take the skull of of a photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Never noticed that. Wow. Oh, and I love Q feeling the beds to see which ones. Right. Uh, yeah, the right level of bounce for him. <laughs> this um, this uh, this whole kind of um. Uh, in, infiltration in, in, into uh, in, into this, yeah. This is, I guess this is a Goldfinger kind of scene. This is a Goldfinger slash a view to kill yeah. slash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing moves around though. Unfortunately, no. No kind of twisting tables or uh, nobody. So gets, uh, Hong Kong narcotics is the only guy in a black suit. Everybody else is in a grey suit. I just mentioned <laughs> that they went to bed about two seconds ago, um, mm. and uh, are we now? Is this now the next night? Or is no, this she's changed her hair, changed her dress. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the next night because uh, also Heller had changed his outfit. He was wearing a tuxedo. Now he's wearing a suit. It is confusing. So it's an odd cut with no sort of like transition to yeah. sort of settle you into a new day before going out for a late night. Yeah, yeah. what were they doing the whole day? What were they doing the whole day? Yeah, so um, sleeping, so sleeping, this, so this, they could stay up all night. This thing here is copied in True Lies, where. You know, mm. um, you pretend to be the waiter 
Um, it's kind of the uh, I think it comes from actually a, I believe an Agatha Christie uh, story where um, you know the killer is able to just uh, disappear by being um, pretending to be a waiter hmm. and then coming back into the room. Um, I, but it's a little I, maybe, weird that you can just dress up in a tuxedo and then you can't tell the difference between who's serving who's serving and who's like an actual guest if everyone's wearing a tuxedo. It's something I've never fully understood. Like I understand it's a dress code, but I, I don't know. Mm. I guess then pe- patrons would have to wear something different or I, I guess my eye for – I think it's it's having the name badge gives it away. No, it's 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 about the attitude, and uh, you know the you would be if you were if you were in service, you would be deferential, you'd be quiet, you'd be in the background, Um, you'd hold yourself in a different way and move in a different way. Um, Here we are about to have um, the car honk on the tit. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, sorry for for that expression. And uh, John Glenn's famous um, pigeon jump jump scare, jump scare on the on the pigeon. Um, yeah, it's it, uh, it 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 works reasonably well in this this one. Um, mm-hmm. I quite like this this infiltration. I think it um, I think it feels very uh, very Bondian. Um, it's the sort of thing that that brings you back to kind of Connery's um, infiltration of the um, heroin flavored bananas in Goldfinger. Mm. I was just um, thinking it's a, it's a long setup, like him going over there to plant the toothpaste to go back over the way to shoot the thing to break the window. But I suppose it does break yeah. up sort of Sanchez's Goldfinger speech yeah. that you get the the whole villain scheme with you know breaking up with Bond doing this interesting stuff. So I suppose it works on that level. I like the fact that Bond doesn't give a shit about what they're saying. He has no interest in listening in and planting a device or anything. <laughs> he just does not care what they're talking about. Yeah. The other thing too is like later on when you know he's he's about to 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 shoot make the shot and he sees Carrie rather than go oh my god what does this mean what extra dimension to to the plot is there he thinks ah fuck it I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it anyway. <laughs> right. Well, it is interesting because th- there are the occasional Bond film where Bond is relatively ineffectual with regards to the sort of the overall outcome, and you do have to wonder like if he did just sort of step back from this like obviously we're supposed to care because it's his own personal mm. vendetta but really the wheels are in motion from various places that would take sanchez down that's a that's a very good that's a really good point calvin you know if he, if he wasn't involved in this this operation would still be in existence and whether it would be today or next month He'd mm. be probably be being taken down by Hong Kong narcotics rather than Bond. Yeah. Um, but in reference to what you were saying as well, I think it's interesting that you you have a Bond film that's very much driven by Bond as opposed to him being a, a bit of a passenger in it. Mm. Like he he kind of strolls through Goldfinger. Mm. Um, mm. Where, whereas in this film, he he's really every decision is really being pushed by him. Mm. Yeah, and, true. And every and every time the plot moves forward, it's because Bond is doing something rather than this is a group of Karens for you. 
<laughs> Does anybody else, did anyone else find that the room that they were meeting in underwhelming? I know we've been talking about like the comparison yeah, to other I, villains. I agree. It, but it's it, just it, yeah. it feels, wood paneled It feels walls. tiny, doesn't it? For, for a Bond villain room, it needs to be big. The table needs to be huge. There needs to be a space between the, the participants in the meeting and it's not there at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it reflects the budget situation of the movie. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, here we are with, okay, here we are with this gun. I promise James not to make uh, references to other media, but the design <laughs> of this gun is ripped off. It's, you know, this gun, the, the base is, you know, disguised look as a camera, but in terms of the attachments, the shoulder stock, the sight at the top, the extended barrel, it's, yeah, you, it's you look at it. Conference. I don't know what original. you're talking about, Bill. It, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, can't imagine what, what reference you're making. I don't know. Um, what what it's show? Your, it's your... It's your solo reference to that show. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get the idea of disguising the camera when you've got like bullets in the same box. And the <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird. Um, yeah. But it does. At least I think Dalton sells it. You know, he, he oh, yeah. when he's when he's putting it together. You know, it would be very easy to kind of laugh at that as a as a as a uh, kind of a device both as a physical device and as a plot device but you when you when you see him constructing that weapon you kind of really believe that he's putting together a sniper rifle to to assassinate somebody hmm. right and they did add yeah, the, uh, big, the idea of the signature twist. gun part of it you know where it will only fire for bond mm, which come which back in be... skyfall of course right but he's wearing gloves so <laughs> um <laughs> And, you know, he really genuinely is – I mean, he only misses by a hair's breath, really. Um, mm. You could just do a quick edit on this where, you know, <laughs> he hits him and it rolls credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be mm. – uh, Now, now that ninja wasn't that bright because why did he have to use the sight? He's like right in front of Bond. Yeah, right. Really yeah. <laughs> Well, technically speaking, they're not ninjas, are they? Because they're Chinese. No. Mm. I like that they still have nets, like, literally up their sleeve that you just, like, right. extend. It's, like well, it's a Spider-Man. You know. It almost looks and, like Spider-Man's webbing. That's yeah, it. Out of, his right, yeah. out of his right arm comes, like, a, a string of flags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this bit was always very jarring. Uh, when, when I was much younger... It's, uh, yeah, we have the cigarette smoking uh, MI6 operative coming up. Yeah, also we, in a three piece who, who we did see sitting outside right. the casino in the car. Right. And mm. it's, it was a really brief shot. Oh, yeah. yeah. well, that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah I mean, Desmond uh, smoking a cigarette earlier on, but yeah. um, he yeah, follows no. the car, follows the other car, but then you mm. don't see him in the in the next shot where they're pulling up outside the other building. So mm. yeah, it's not particularly well done. The you know the the idea that that he's being surveilled, apart from you know this this guy. Um, mm. uh, it's an interesting use of Hong Kong narcotics because obviously they'd be in league with the British at this mm. point because this is 1989. Mm. So they would actually be communicating together. This whole story beat just happens like so quickly. There's so much going on with the mm. Chinese ninjas, this other MI6 guy. There's a tank all of a sudden. It's an awful lot to process. I uh, guess this is how uh, Heller earns his living because he's... Mm. Um, <laughs> tank in, commander. 
but in contrast to the to the the, the wave crest sequence we saw earlier, you know that's that's what I'm that's what I was meaning. It's very easy to lose control of multiple elements. Mm. I just wonder if they had to cut this down for the sensors. Mm. Oh, this is really a tangent now with um, this uh, Chinese agent. <laughs> Yeah, she's just like totally murdered. It's 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 horrific, really. They oh yeah, they, she, she doesn't. It doesn't have to happen. This I don't know why this is particularly written into this at all. It's, it's really strange because she gets. Yeah. I mean, you know, we know that she obviously had some kind of relationship with her uh, colleague. She's crying about him dying, and then she has this moment only to die very bloodily. It's really strange. I don't quite know what the point is. Is it? Especially- I suppose to set. Set up the idea that that Heller is not a sympathetic character, you know, because he died mm. when 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 he dies later on. You don't want to necessarily go, oh, that's a shame that he's dead. You want to kind of go, oh yeah, he's just as bad as. I guess, you know? yeah, because we'd just seen him with Pam, so I guess this is to sort of reassure you. Oh no, he really is bad. Him and Pam aren't, yeah. you know, on the same wavelength. Oh, yeah. yeah, that would I make know, sense. I know it's horrible here, but I really like the fact that Sanchez shoots him even though he's dead. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, just the frustration. Mm. I just feel like there's so little development compared to some of the characters early on that you may, as we we mentioned, you make us care for these characters. We're invested in them. And I feel as though this whole middle section here um, is a little bit muddied for me where I don't know if, if there was another way around this where Bond could have infiltrated or not. But there's mm. just a lot going on here that I'm I'm never fully on top of because it just happens so rapidly. And then all yeah, of a sudden Bond I, I, is super trusted think, and he's in the I, bed of the guy's house. I, I, I think that's one of the reasons I want, I, I, me. I want, yeah. I want a, factory, a factory entertainment porcelain fish. <laughs> that's what I want. Uh, they always remind me of uh, it's Monty Python and the Meaning of Life, isn't it? Where they're all on like, the, it's all their heads yeah. on fishes that's swimming around. It's a really bad outdoor set, fake outdoor set oh, through the window. Yeah. see it. Um, so this is where uh, the the film becomes a bit more like Yojimbo, um, which is yes. one of the more like the the, the key influences on um, Michael G. Wilson's writing for this script. Um, even even though that that there is a similar kind of plot device used in the novel um, The Man with the, uh, the Golden Gun, where Bond kind of infiltrates and plays plays both sides off against each other um mm. wilson actually said that um he was more influenced by uh, by kurosawa than, than by the fleming um strangely yeah and the mechanism here is he shouldn't be able to kill people yeah. so he has to set them up against each other um right. so with um with the soto's character there where she um she just says a crest is coming in tonight he just uses that tiny bit of information here to to sow the seeds and um it makes her character much more sympathetic Hmm. and i did like her one piece outfit oh we're talking about yeah (laughs) you went for him and i went for her i was like she had a beautiful like white one piece outfit Hmm. um i I, I actually I, I have to say, you know, like I know that it, it, it is a dated film in terms of, uh, of clothing and costuming, but I, I, there's a lot that I can pick out of this that I that I like. Uh, I think the women's costuming particularly is, is mm-hmm. uh, better than the men's, but this, mm. I, 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 I like the fact that they've gone with pink 
for Davy here. It, you know, it's an unusual villain choice to make. Mm. Um, but I think it kind of works. It works with his complexion. Um, and it's interesting that you've got this brutal killer in, in such a kind of a soft, um, the soft color. Um, it's it's an it, you know soft gray soft pink it's um it's a it's a, it's a interesting palette to pick for somebody who is so brutal i did always wonder if they were making some kind of sly uh, inference about his sexuality uh particularly how he is with dario as well um i i have wondered if it's an attempt at some kind of homoeroticism but i can't imagine that darvey was in on the uh intention mm, much imagine. like charlton heston wasn't in then her <laughs> Uh, I I don't know is the answer to that. I never I never felt that there was any any homoeroticism really in it, other than uh, I always assumed that that Dario was kind of like a a, a, a relative, like a like a cousin or a, a you know, or at least somebody from his same village or something like that. It didn't really mm. ever feel it. It felt more fraternal um, than than sexual um mm. can i offer but, a comment on the color pink please so in my gender uh, one of my gender classes i usually talk about like the history of the color pink so before i think it was world war one the color pink was associated yep. with men and masculinity and it's yep. christian yep. roots so the color yep. red is associated with jesus christ uh the color pink is considered to be an offshoot of the color red and so little boys were dressed in pink um, in order to show their connection with Jesus, they were sort of like the siblings or the little siblings of Jesus. That's right. It's like the color yeah. pink is like an offshoot of the color red. And then uh, the color blue was associated more with young girls and women. It has to do with the waters of life, maternity and so forth. And then the war hit. Um, soldiers' costumes, uh, due to the, the expense of the material, were made in blue. And so there hmm. were all these campaigns to regender and recode the color pink. So there were pink think or think pink campaigns to code it as being a feminine color. And so there might be something here about like this broader history of the connection of the color pink huh. to notions of masculinity, to notions of sacrifice, um, and hmm. so forth. So I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, yeah. the way that we think about pink right now, it has different Christian roots and it has different historical roots. Yeah. I, I didn't know that pink used to be associated with masculinity. I, I didn't know. I didn't know why, though. So that, that's really interesting. Hmm. That's, it was around uh, the 1940s that it flipped around, wasn't it? So that's um, that religious element as well might pay into um, kind of the. the Catholic, the Catholicism of yeah. uh, of, of this, this this country uh, or this and this and the kind of the the, uh, the angelic moment later in the film, right? So here we are uh, with Bond once again being fairly brutal with a woman, which is right. But but she's about to set him straight on just how he screwed up the whole movie. Mm. <laughs> and, and now we could have I mean, been home. And, we could have been now, home by now. <laughs> So up until now, this is a personal mission, but now he has screwed up so badly. He's ruined that whole thing for the Hong Kong narcotics 
squad. I do like Dalton's five o'clock shadow here. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so, to sort of go back to the way that, I mean, a lot of people might sort of miss it, but for me, this scene is incredibly threatening. He like picks her up, throws her on the bed, exposes her underwear. Then he reaches around between her legs in order to like take her gun away from her. Um, and then he's like leaning over her like he did to Lupe Lamora in a threatening way. And mm. just the, the just some of the the body languages and the tone of it um, for me has always been just incredibly problematic. And I think it's, it's supposed to show him being sort of off the off the rails here, and he's just like hyper emotional and so on and so forth. Um, but it's just it's very difficult for me to sort of get over just the 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 tone of that one exchange between uh, the two of them. I just find mm, it like okay. really really troublesome. One, I, I guess that. By the way, one, I guess that was uh, Desmond's version of a safari suit. Yeah, he just and, got that uh, from Roger. Like yeah. <laughs> and then and then in the middle of the scene, you see Dalton's reaction as he just realizes the depth yeah. of his screw-up. And mm. so that's I, a, I will that's say, that's a good piece of acting from Dalton there because he genuinely, he looks utterly deflated, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, her accent here when she's being the harbour master, it just makes no sense what she is what her decision making is take me to the bridge um and and a great piece of everyday sexism there from the the captain of the wave crest um Mm. a a woman (laughs) moment um so i'm quite glad that um she plows his ship into the the harbor based on based on that simple exchange it's like everybody that works for sanchez all the way down trickles down is is just just an awful human being Mm -hmm. but i do like this this kind of you know if there was why have it crash into the dock what was the point of that plan was it to create a distraction to get bond on board i mean no it's it's so that yes it's so that she can go downstairs and undo the moon pool oh Um, sorry yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but she could have snuck on board and done that she could have snuck on board and done that but i also think it what it does it further undermines crest's um competency and so what you're basically saying is i'm going to go down there and check and see if this guy is um you know a worthy part of my organization and the first thing he does is crash his ship um mm. it's 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 just layering up the the mistrust mm. um bond in a t-shirt here which is not right? a yeah, not something we see often well, if we want to see an old raggedy t-shirt stand by for no time to die <laughs> Hmm. Very baggy on him, this. Yeah. I know I've been talking about like he's still got time to he's still got a moment to check her out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been talking a bit about like the haircuts and the suits and stuff. I'm I'm really not a style person. Like I don't know what's in fashion or anything, but it just um yeah sticks out to me as quite poor in this one. Well, style and fashion are, are two very different things i think mm. you know style mm. style style should be timeless and fashion is fleeting mm. um but there are there are certain things that will always kind of work like textures and colors and combinations of those things um mm. but 
you know, one of the things about the eighties, I think was, it was, I, I, I can, considering this is made in the eighties, I think stylistically in, in, in terms of fashion, um, it, yeah. it escaped fairly, the worst. fairly well. Yeah. I mean, it, you yeah, know, it could, no shell suits. Yeah. It could have <laughs> been, it could have been, been a lot worse. Um, it is dated. Mm, people, but, the funny thing is you mentioned this, but people classify like eighties and nineties, but if you look back at early nineties, it's as bad as the eighties. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Things, mm-hmm. things don't just, worse. things just don't, you know, like well, you don't get well, new year's Eve and everyone looks at their clothes and goes, right. what am I wearing? Well, <laughs> it's, like in, it's like in Dr. No, those guys at MI6 look, like they were dressed from about say 55 rather right. than 62 so mm. it, 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 there's always a transition mm. i love the fact that they so they can they can be in the moon pool right in the water here and not make any noise whatsoever there's no splashing noises from hmm. it's like get in the water and then she gets in without a single like that quiet entry anyone gets into the water soundlessly yeah. um, she's wearing a beige swimsuit because yes. you know. good point why it's like the white swimsuit this is just adding to my previous comments of the beige that's, swimsuit that's what that allows me into the water unheard <laughs> i was wondering why she was wearing that why did she take off her um yeah uh the outfit she was wearing earlier on where she was pretending to be one of the dock workers yeah it doesn't make any sense at all really so that you can have that shot <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> poor anthony zerby is about to meet his demise and yeah. the second and for the second time in calendar year 1989 he plays a character who's about to get separated from his head <gasps> um this came out in july of 89 and back in january of 89 he was in an episode of Columbo where he was the murder victim who got decapitated. So it's what? like, yeah. Huh. Hmm. Well, in fairness, it's not just his head that, uh, right. goes here. It's uh... still, still though, you see the head, you know, predominantly yeah. it's coming up. He's now in that chamber yeah. and, it's such a cruel moment. Like, obviously, it's, there's the blood splatter, but just him, you know, the slow yeah. turning up of the dial, him reacting to it is clearly in a lot of pain. And Bond's um, watching on, too, though. That's the thing. And Bond is sitting yeah. there with, like, a smirk on his face, like, huh. James's, James's death gauge for James. <laughs> That's right. It's like, don't turn it this far. It'll kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. But this mm. is horrific. Oof, oh, yeah. And the impassive. Oh god, no! I like the behind-the-scenes photo of him with the with the heads that they made. It's quite yeah. good. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it would have been better That's... if they didn't show that. If they would have showed it from like his perspective, looking like the the victim, and then had the splat, mm-hmm. rather than trying to create like a face that explodes. Uh, mm, that's a great that would have been even more horrific. That you like see the last screaming moments, and then it's just blood. Yeah. Mm. It's- it's it's really one of the most egregious deaths in all, all of Bond, really. I mean, mm. the only other time that it happens is uh, with Kananga, um, but it's mm-hmm. so comic. It's so comical that, it, I, and there's no blood on top of yeah. that. It's yeah. um, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, hmm. I mean, I saw a photo of the uh, effects crew bringing up that. That big uh, balloon of Kanang. I mean, it looks I, ridiculous. I love hmm. Carrie's Carrie's outfit here. I just think it's this high waisted, um, mm. big big pants. It's very Catherine Hepburn, and I I think it suits her really well. Mm. 
Um, well, let's let's talk about his cardigan. Yeah, I just I, think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been wanting to bring it up for a while, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's it's nice. It's uh, it it's kind of like loose fitting. Oh, let's all right. Let's not talk about clothes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. So if Ben Peel did that, I'd be so well up for that. I I didn't realize that the sun or moon moon I guess it is above the headboard is it's, who was the who did those who made those with the fish it's terrible <laughs> I think um, I, if I believe this is a, an actual not this this is set but like the actual um, villa is a location um, oh it is yeah it is um, yeah. and I think it already had the fish in there so I think they wanted to bring the the fish through into the into the set just a <laughs> note just a note here that Bond is quite heavily scarred um he's got he's got a scar in his uh in his right forearm uh, right shoulder and uh also on his sort of upper left shoulder as well um mm. something that you know we haven't really sort of seen uh, not up until this point we see it later on with with craig obviously but it's quite interesting to to note that that was a decision that they took for this mm. scene to kind of make it make it a little bit more realistic perhaps yeah and i've never and noticed the, it before either this is the no, first I time i'm either. seeing it but there is yeah quite pronounced like you know bullet grays there's like a scar on his other arm it's mm-hmm. and it's good makeup effects i think it's good and also that here we've got a, you know a shirtless scene and he's he's not a, a big guy he just basically is a guy I, I suppose he's in his 40s at this point i'm not sure of his age when he when he shot this but you know he looks like a, a, a just a reasonably fit guy of of his of his sort of middle age as mm. opposed to being um you know the 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 kind of the muscle machine that um that uh that Craig is your dogs don't agree <laughs> yeah um, no, they they weren't they weren't happy with that uh, that assessment at all i looked it up he was 42 when they filmed this Wow. Okay. So 40, 42, I think he, you know, but he doesn't yeah. look, it doesn't look bad, but it's just usually now, if you had a shirtless scene like that in a film, it's so, yeah, he's a proportion guy yeah. too. It's not like he's on steroids. And, so uh, this scene gets a lot of stick for being terrible. I love um, him so much. Yeah. So this was her last scene of the, of the shoot apparently. And, yeah. um, this uh, and anyway, we ran an amusing write-up of somebody who was there on the day in the magazine in the past. But apparently, this was like I don't. The story is that Dalton might have directed this bit because Glenn was busy somewhere else right. this day. Well, yeah. is that why he got the line? I love him so much. No, put put more passion into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get. I hate to go on about it, but that's a lovely outfit on. Uh, Carrie Lowell there. Um, all her clothes and so far have been great. Even the Harbour Master outfit. Um, but again, look, you see the, the the relationship between these two. They they work really beautifully together. I think. Um, this should be a Q Q Bouvier Pam Bouvier spinoff. So <laughs> <laughs> somebody somebody uh, talked about how uh, Q always berated berated Bond for. Uh, his treatment of gadgets in the field. (laughs) Yeah. He throws the broom with the radio Mm. in the bush. It is a good gag though. Yeah. I guess he wasn't that fond of that gadget. Um, 
So mm. is this is this supposed to be that he knew which plane Bond had flown in on? Um, he closes the airspace, basically, doesn't he? That's yeah. what they're saying, that all the planes have to be serviced. Yeah. But I, again, why do that? Because he thinks Bond's still on his side at this point. Yeah. Oh, and finally, Dario's back. Yeah, I'm back from vacation, boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it that he was supervising the collection of those stingers? Is that what that the implication uh, is there? I yeah, think I think so. He was doing yeah. something. Right. He had business yeah. to do. It's like, you know. It would have been great if they had just had a phone call at some point, you know, saying, how's it going with those stingers, Dario? Great Dario. Boss. Dario was off torturing an animal or something. Yeah. That's, that's what the kind of guy <laughs> Dario was. It feels weird to have like that sort of the scary hench person not be part of the film. And I know that, you know, Moonraker is a bit different in the fact that Jaws already had a film. And so he was there at the beginning, then sort of phoned in later on. It just seems really strange to have so much attention just on the actual villain. And I, mm. I think he, I think Dario's just underused in this coronavirus coronavirus moment about to to come in here we go everyone put your masks (laughs) masks. on (laughs) let's have some social distancing please six feet Mm. apart um sorry i didn't mean to talk over you there lisa um you're right it's um it's it's interesting that oh can i just point out that this is a, a a wonderful foreground Miniature. Yeah, oh, the whole it's uh, so good. the whole hat, the hatch that opens. Yeah, mm. it, I think it's Brilliant. sold by the extras in the background, like mm. waving in the helicopter and stuff. And the and the and the yeah, it's it's great. Mm. This whole base it's, is fantastic. I think it's really really cool. Yeah, it's it's they've managed to create this is another a four, great this is another foreground model here. Mm. It's it incredible like that it's a foreground miniature just uh, and they they blended it in perfectly. Mm. Um, and again, this is, I think, an exterior location made to look like an interior one where they fl- where they land the helicopter. Mm. Um, yeah, it's um, for, as a, as sort of villains' bases go. A, again, this comes back to Bill's constant reminder of uh, how little they had for the budget. Um, it, it isn't as big or as grand as it might be um, in in some of the other kind of bonds films um but again it's just kind of shot well enough and enough sort of cheated angles to kind of make it sort of seem bigger than it than it actually is Mm. and great that dario says dario says who's the new guy even though he's been gone for a while (laughs) (laughs) everyone I love Carrie well, I mean, Lowell how, acting how, all naive and innocent <laughs> coming up to the, you know, just like some crazy fan of the professor, load of money. Yeah, Michael J. Fox giving his his little, uh, <laughs> little speech. Hmm? James still practicing social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for Dario. Mm. Six feet, I'll make it 12 feet. <laughs> He's great in this, though, Dario. Like, I'm telling you, he's mm. underused. I love his glare yeah. and his instincts. Mm. 
Mm. It's a real case of like a, a an actor kind of too good for the part, I think. Um, yeah, and I, I mean that affectionately. Like, I think he's fantastic in this film, and you can see why he would go on to be the you know the actor that he went on to be. But he's yeah, mm. really really good in this. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's in in the he's making fantastic. of fe- in the mm. making of featurette. They talked about how uh, Robert Davi and uh, Don Stroud, I think, played a practical joke on him. He called up and uh, Davi effected a british accent pretended he was right. john glenn we need you to come downstairs and like he comes down oh you know he's all worried he's got to come down and at four Rob- in the morning yeah robert Dobby <laughs> and don stroud just laughing their heads off hmm. um one of the things also uh, a little bit later on after after bond has um punched him in the face um he's got a bloodshot eye which yes. can only come from actually like because they didn't have kind of it's it's a genuine I think he genuinely does something to his own eye to make <laughs> bloodshot because that's the kind of actor that he is. Dang! Um, wow. Yeah, it's 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 kind of in, it, and it sells it sells it really well. Um, here we here we have a little bit of uh, abuse of power, um, hmm. and. Uh, I I I strongly dislike um Joe uh because of this. Um a lot of people kind of think of him as a slightly comic relief character with the bless your heart and the you know, um isn't it funny how he kind of gets the, the money snatched off him at the end? But really he's a sexual predator and Well, I mean not, Bond films not, being ahead of the time, having a cult slash religious leader sexually abusing their congregation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very unpleasant. And um, I was about to say uh, it wasn't that much ahead of its time. This was happening just around the same time. Maybe yeah. it was maybe ahead by two minutes. Um, yeah, which is what all good Bond. This has got like be. I think there's more there's more religion in License to Kill than the whole of the series put together. <laughs> Apart from. Um, Say, uh, live and let die. Uh, yeah, we had that debate, didn't we, on a previous episode whether it was religion or whether it was a cult? But, yeah. oh, I think voodoo is, is considered to be a, a religion. Um, but yeah, uh, so um, he's being held up with a um, a Walther. Um, so it's quite quite interesting that uh, he should. Um, should be held up by that that particular weapon. Um, and now the base is now the fire is now out of control after two minutes. Not, <laughs> yeah. even, not even two minutes. Like, mm. What kind of security measures do you have though? Like, wouldn't you have like I don't sprinklers. know you can close the, sprinkler yeah, system? Yeah, something. <laughs> well, Blofeld didn't have sprinklers inspector either, did he? Mm. It's it's kind of crazy that you know you're working having with sprinklers in the, having sprinklers in the desert isn't that mm. easy. But. Yeah. And that and that whole uh, explodium hotel, right? Oh yeah, had, <laughs> yeah. No sprinklers there. Why? Why is this place still on fire? <laughs> um, I guess here they are smuggling the drugs in the gasoline, aren't they? So I, I guess right. that's a good a reason as any. Um, it's interesting that you know davy really does this kind of he's he's a good imp, he has good improvisation when he wants to kind of you know he takes the the string off the the blinds to tie him up yeah it's yeah. like he he he's just a natural sadist 
And hmm. um, I think that's kind of like a, a really nice point. You know, you see him in all this kind of casual, casual clothes being quite, quite delivering quips and one liners. But actually at the end of the day, he's just, uh, he's just a very nasty man. The red lighting on that set with a helicopter never quite worked for me. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a different location. Mm. Because it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a genuinely horrific kind of thing. Uh, to uh, this is the stuff of kind of uh, nightmares, really, mm. just being kind of slowly kind of drawn towards these these things it's uh it's just a, it, a but it very does not nasty place. It no it may, out of place. it's not no it's exactly that it, it it has a purpose it's not a it's not a machine that's designed to kind of torture and kill yeah it's, it's not like a batman tv show fin- yeah. finale hmm. but it, yeah hmm. so it's again it's sort of like um it's it's in keeping with this kind of more kind of in, inverted commas realistic bond um and yeah, I, I like the fact that um, he he's only really surviving through <laughs> kind of sheer luck, really, at this point. Um, but you know, Sanchez falls to the oh, he'll die. I'll go. <laughs> well, he left behind his trusted Dario. He figured he yeah. figured he'd take care of it. Let him have some fun. Yeah. Um, so you see, uh, yeah, he's been on holiday. He needs to get back to work. He needs to earn his pay. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, we're coming up for a close up of, uh, of of Del Toro's uh, face and his, his bloodshot eye. I think it really sells sells the character. Mm. I thought this was a strange moment where uh, Pam turns up in her white robe and there's this sort of angelic music and soft yeah. focus. Uh, That's what I mean about like the religious iconography in the movie. It's, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's all over the place. This is weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's to elicit a reaction from him or what. But hmm. she's even. Yeah, I, like framed. The, I like. I like the she's... "your dead" line as well. Like he believes she's dead, then mm. is she a ghost? Yeah. Mm. She's she's also framed with that halo behind her head yeah i've never noticed that before that like virgin mary sort of thing yeah. which goes into oh, my pink a... color theory uh, by dario sure so. <laughs> and, and, and depending on which version you're watching that could have been chunkier oh, oh Wait, what? horrible horrible way to die yeah the, the the original release had a lot of that uh, dario's um, death cut so you don't yeah. get to see much of it they filmed a lot more of it oh it's yeah. a, it's a... It's a horrific. It got, re- it got restored into the home release. Hmm. It's a, not not a nice way to go. And also, I quite like. I mean, you know, they they give a lot of flack for the turn the bloody machine off line, but hmm. it's pretty much what you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it wouldn't be bloody, would it? But yeah, there probably. was a website that had this uh, thing about what if Timothy Dalton worked at Burger King, and they would then. <laughs> and one of the lines was turn the damn machine off because the fries are burning and I saw that I had this image in my head of Timothy Dalton in a Burger King uniform (laughs) I don't know why it was such a weird such a weird concept I I laugh thinking about it now ooh Heller just got impaled Uh, you mean mean one uh, one article on the website or the whole website was that built 
Um, <laughs> you know, I think it was actually the alt fan James Bond news group, you know, the alt text yeah, thing. So it, it like listed various lines. If Timothy Dalton worked at Burger King and it took that, that's the line I remember. But there were other lines from his two movies. I, it's the first time I've noticed the safety disclaimer on the Stinger missile that says use between 65 <laughs> and 105 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So I, I love this it, bit that where where Truman Lodge is just escaping, and he's just mm-hmm. like Sanchez is like you. He doesn't even use his name. It's just like you're right. just an. Un, I, I I vaguely remember you being around. Come with me. <laughs> well, well, well. Plus, he has all the bearer bonds. He's got all the cash from the uh, the various drug lords. But Sanchez doesn't even really seem to care about that later on. They do. They do quite a number on sort of wrapping up all of Sanchez's various henchmen, of which there are many mm-hmm. in this. And Sanchez has all that money. He can't even afford a pair of socks. <laughs> <laughs> this is a neat little end to the character here. Thank you, yeah. Sean. Um, Sorry, that was just a, a well, little joke there for you guys. Compared to all the other hench people, uh, Professor Joe gets off pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Um He's sort of person who could actually, you know, go back and start his own cult up without Sanchez. He's just like, oh, it's uh, anyway. Um, mm. Imagine what he could do with Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> All right, somebody, somebody, start the group up. The pyramid. Of yeah. <laughs> this mm. is an interesting kind of final act to the to the film, though. You know, it's, it's like a bad, it's, bad green screen there in the car. Yeah. yeah. But this whole this whole idea that like it's it suddenly just all boils down to this sort of tanker chase. Um, yeah, everything else has been stripped away at this point, right? Yeah, just and it's all just down to basically these these two men. Just the organizations crumbled. It's just literally these two guys facing off against each other in a in a what is, amounts to be a car chase. So it's quite a yeah, it's quite a, 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 an interesting ending. I also think it's interesting that sometimes this happens in action films. A lot of times this happens. Um, where, like, the woman is, like, she's in a plane far away. I always complain about the Kingsman film, you know, when, yeah. you know, the one guy's she there and then they in the... <laughs> She's in space and it's like, but she's the real Kingsman. And I always find it, I always ask myself in Bond films, you know, when you have the lead hero, um, where is she? You know, is she part of the Mm. action? Is she separated? And I know um, there are some people who argue very, uh, very passionately about Pam Bouvier being, you know, the strongest and most competent uh, Bond girl who's out there. But the fact that she's not here really and not intimately engaged in the climax leaves me to to open that up to question Hmm. i mean she does i I completely agree that she is removed from this she has one moment where she does um you know interact and save his life with the crop spraying dust Mm -hmm. um but you're right it's 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 a convenient way of kind of removing her from the the intimate action of of this particular uh, scene you know, she is kind of, 
she's there, but she's not. She's sort of peripheral. There's the obligatory, there's the obligatory vegetable yeah. retailer. And, <laughs> and when you think about like action films of this era, you see, and I mentioned it before, sort of the rise of the more muscular and masculine action woman. I think she would have to be coded differently if she was intimately involved in the space of physical mm. action and in the physical conflict. Whereas when you have present women at a distance, be it them being pilots or them, I always talk about women being um, uh, snipers. They can maintain mm. their femininity. They can emphasize their beautiful face and their accuracy, but they don't have to code them differently because they're part of like close and intimate action. So I think it, it, there's there's multiple reasons why why it happens. And again, at the end of the day, this is a Bond film. I expect him to be intimately involved with the action and not necessarily her. But sometimes mm. I like it when women do continue to play an active role um in 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 the mission so it serves like there's a purpose for them being there agreed interesting this this stunt coming up um they they had they did do a lot of modifications to a lot of the 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 trucks used in this they didn't modify this truck remy julian who um is uh, the the famous french stunt driver he balanced it he managed to do this um Without any modifications to the to the truck, which is pretty impressive. I mean, I, I, I know, it, I know it's amazing. Uh, I know it's an amazing stunt, but I, it, it spoils the whole sequence for me because I just find it uh, unbelievable. It's just mm. no, well, it, it's weird that it is actually it's happy that it's done for real. Team, yeah, the A team ramp. Was yeah, for. sure. <laughs> but, uh, it, yes, it's done for real, but it's not. It's not uh, some. It's not something that a regular driver can do, is, is it? And it just uh, it doesn't even feel close to being real. No, I, I agree. They do a couple of things like the the wheelie later on, which you know doesn't sit particularly right with me, and kind of kind of I, I agree, kind of like unnecessarily kind of breaks up the chase. Um, but uh, but it is the you know I think it is um, interesting that you could you could do these things with um, these kind of stunts. Um, Just close the, to getting dumped on. Yeah, it's as close to a villain getting dumped in guano that we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, I love that both of them looking at the same that the, like they they look out the window when they're both doing it, both for different reasons. You know, um, mm. like uh, Truman Lodge is obviously only caring about the money, um, and he's about to meet his his end. He, yeah, he, 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 fi- he finally talks back to Sanchez. Brilliant, France. Forgetting that, forgetting the fact the that Sanchez to... is holding a machine gun. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he gets out of the car to check that it actually exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so he does. He takes his bearer bonds back, um, which is the reason why he, he wanted Truman in the car in the first place. Um, yes, he could have taken his socks as well, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's not forget that um, whilst uh, whilst these these guys have a fairly comical demise, um, they're all wearing crosses as well. Uh, they are also the ones that perpetrated uh, the rape of Della earlier in yep. the movie. So just remember that, guys, when they are um, you know being comically murdered, um, <laughs> that, that they do deserve it. 
Mm. That's the greatest shot of the film, I think. Yeah, that, 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 is that explosion. explosion yeah. Yeah. I think the explosions are just really good. I don't know if it's because they're all set off when it's obviously like very hot weather or something, but there's a great fieriness to the whole, uh, the whole thing. You can feel the heat through the yeah. screen almost. There's a sort of still shot of one of the, the explosions, which mm. is supposed to be like a fist, I think. Um, well, it's the claw uh, of hell or something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because of there are lots of people I'll, died on this road. Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll I'll dig it up for uh, for Twitter, but um, but yeah, it's an interesting. It's I, an interesting I, I think, it looks it genuinely looks like a. Yeah, t- talking about the explosions, I, I think one of the reasons that the the fire, the flames, look so good is that the, I think the the colours a bit washed out throughout the film. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah, punctuating that against that. Lots of beiges. Yeah, yeah. It's a very beige film. Um, <laughs> it's extremely beige. Like everyone seems to like either uh, either has beige clothing or the backgrounds are beige. Um, even these Kenworth trucks are, are, are yeah. vaguely beige. Um, I just point out that in in the UK and I suppose most of Europe at this at the time this was made, cruise control not a thing. <laughs> so. It did appear to be a bit of a Deus Ex Machina mm. if you were watching this in Europe in '89, unless you were a trucker, in which case you knew what it was about. But yeah, um, it's not autopilot, it, which is what they kind yeah, of make it out to be. In other, in, in other, in another film, they would have just had him put a, you know, an a umbrella. Tool- <laughs> <laughs> the toolbox would have just gone on. Uh, this is a lovely shot. Um, reminds me of Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, a, that's, real. A, that's a fitting demise for those guys. I'm, I'm glad they uh, glad they went off like that. And it's um, interesting that they have her in the plane when that's happening, as if she's sort of like the surrogate for all women, sort of sitting there in the plane watching it happen and being kind of horrified, but she moved out of the way, so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, his, I his like plan that. here is to like let the fire get the tanker and he's going to get off before it blows up, right? I think that's the idea he's going for. He just wasted that stinger. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's his reaction. Is just like, damn. You know, <laughs> he's, yeah. Um, but this is, um, this just coming down to it just being a, a kind of a, a, a brutal. Mano fight yeah. is you know it's great after all of these things that have happened to to kind of just distill it down to that it, it, i think is um is good and, and appropriate really um and i and i i think um it it adds kind of more kind of power and resonance to his um his ultimate demise hmm it also shows that Sanchez is a very hands-on villain. I mean, oftentimes you have the villain being the brains of the operation and they rely on their hench people to be the brawn. And throughout this entire film, I mean, he's doing his own physical labor. He's coming yeah. up with the plans I mean, and he's going to follow through and engage in this violence. And that's sort of a different type of villain than what we we typically see. And I kind of have respect for it. Like, he's going after him with a machete. Like, that's mm. a level of villainous commitment that we usually don't see. He's one of the dark side of Bond villains, isn't he? Like Scaramanga yeah. and Alec Trevelyan, and they always right. end up yeah. being more physical. It always comes down to one-on-one kind of fist fight. 
Notedly, that, that that roll off the edge that would have blown up all of the other tankers didn't blow up. This right. Yeah. Mm. Like all the other tankers that just kind of rolled off the edge, boom. Um, mm. But I do like the I, fact I, that, that this happens the way that this happens. Okay. He could have killed him already. Just saying. Right. Oh, <laughs> shot where it's the same shot from back at the wedding. Just in case you forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what, Bill? I'd never noticed that that insert was a repeat yeah. until now you said it's, it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, save time, save money, but. Yeah. And his hand is in I a think different it's more position. A case, I think it might have been in the edit room, they realized it wasn't clear enough, so they had to yeah. spell mm. it out. Yeah. I think it's to like extra the sort of like punctuate sanchez has read it so he's aware now yes. of uh, yes. right otherwise he's about to die yeah in, about yeah. To in die. a perfect yeah. world you would have done a second insert shot where the background right. of the insert shot would have mm. looked deserty instead yeah. of you know, the wedding but you know that's 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 a very small quibble just to mm. be clear i yeah somebody on on twitter recently said but did he read it though did he read it and i actually went back and so this was a couple of days ago. I actually went back and had a look and see if he, he had done that. So I watched that scene again. And there's definitely a, a look of recognition on his face, mm. but I don't think it would have necessarily been sold if we hadn't have had that that pickup or that insert put in mm. there. I, I think it's more for the audience's benefit than uh, yeah. yeah than Sanchez's. I'm hey. fine now, James. That's so efficient. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with it uh, out on a date with my nurse. <laughs> <laughs> What's this party in sort of benefit of? Like, why have they just suddenly organized yeah, because, a big yeah. Sanchez's dead party at his El, El villa. Presidente? El Presidente just lost his money from Sanchez. <laughs> so I just wanted- maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe uh, El Presidente got his hands on the bearer bonds. Mm. Ah. I just wanted to say before we, we wrap all of this up, um, if they had never made another Bond movie after this, this might have been a nice note to end on. No, it wouldn't. Bond is, Bond is not... Um, <laughs> no, because Bond is... He's not, he's, not back in the, he's not back in the service. No, that's what he's I'm done. saying. He's, 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 he's retired at this point. You know, they're asking for him back, but he's kind of like, no, oh, I don't have to be. He's found love with, uh, with uh, Pam Bouvier. Um you know, it's kind of a well, love inverted it, commas. He's just been making out with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's a nice way to kind of, like if, if we'd have never seen any more bonds after this, this would have been a uh, kind of a, indelible a image would have been a winking fish. In well, theory, I agree with you, but yes, winking fish like that well, also, is. The... <laughs> but there was a quote from Dalton during the filming of the movie where he said he had this feeling this might be the last film. It was, yeah, that's yeah, and um, this scene here where they're in the pool together and they walk off. This ended, you know, this wasn't the last sequence they shot, but uh, Dalton and Glenn were reportedly yelling at each other from across the set uh, during this scene. So. Huh. The- the other thing too is this is essentially the last sort of the last of the classic bonds in the sense that um, you know Cubby's producer on it. This is the last time as producer properly. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of the a, this is the last movie for a lot of people. Yeah, well, exactly. Big... I was going to get into that when we get to yeah. the end because I think this the purge is... of talent, right? Because it's a historically important right. film, even if you don't like the film. And we're rolling the end titles, which. The entails will over include a still, the, over a still. Yeah. I don't understand the With, choice here. The entails will include the Surgeon General's warning. There were so many yeah, cigarettes right. smoked. Um, but 
Now's a good time as I was going to bring up. So this was the last film for Maybaum, yeah. last film for John Glenn. Hang on, last... are they having a party at Sanchez's house? Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. I, sorry, I never realized that. Sorry, Bill, yeah. to interrupt you. No, anyway, so last one for Maybaum. Maybaum died in 91. Last, uh, last Bond film for Glenn. Uh, last uh, movie for Maurice Binder. Um, last film and, cigarette. And was it, it, um, I was going to say, and this movie did not do very well in the U.S. It did fine elsewhere. But on its opening weekend, and I actually I have this up in a tab, so this is not me making it up. It came in number four on its opening weekend, Oof, finishing, yes, it finishing behind Lethal Weapon 2, which was in its second week of release. Batman, which was in its fourth, Ooh. Honey, I Sh- Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which was its fourth weekend. Oh, yeah. License to Kill, number four. The wow. only other quote new movie that weekend was a re-release of Peter Pan. Oh, gosh. Um, it you know it for whatever reason the American audience did not warm up to this film, did not warm up to Timothy Dalton, and. Um, and and so as a result, I mean, because it was jewelry written, by Sheila Goldfinger. Sorry, it, Bill. <laughs> it was written about uh, in Variety. Then they began a purge. So it's like John Glenn, we don't need you anymore. Richard yeah. Maybaum, we don't need you anymore. We should we should pull up that Variety article, Bill, for a follow up on this because it was it was the the bloodbath basically, wasn't it? Yeah, of the production team. Yeah. Hmm. Which is ironic that they purged Maybaum, but you know, it's yeah. like because he wasn't the main writer. It's like Michael G. Wilson, but he's he's the stepson of the producer. Yeah, but you so. know what? In in the land of the pig, the butcher is king. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why you might suggest that it didn't do too well was because of that sudden change of marketing. And yes, you know, the yes. Film, the MGM film lost their nerve with the marketing, didn't they? Yeah. And look, marketing isn't word of mouth, and it isn't thumbs on seats, but it definitely does a lot to kind of make make a film happen. And the fact that they changed the name. I mean, literally weeks beforehand, um, I wrote a piece for MI6 on on the on the marketing um, uh, changes that and and the poster designs that had to go had to be changed. And they they couldn't find uh, a good way to to sell um, Tim as as Bond, and they, well, all of the all of the photography that they were using was um, was terrible, and then they ended up with that very odd distant shot of him you know where he's very small in the in the poster um Hmm. and obviously the name changed and so therefore without that drive of marketing behind it um i i think officialdom has lent back on the certification as the reason why it didn't do very well Hmm. um I, I I don't think that's the reason. I was about to say it certainly wasn't the reason in the U.S. I mean, no. you know, because I mean, like compared to Lethal Weapon Two, I no. Um, oh, and and the other thing people forget about this. So not right away, but like within a year or two, Dan Jack actually put itself up for sale. Now, obviously, it didn't sell, and one of the explanations was, well, you know, Cubby Broccoli needs to do some estate planning so got to get an idea how much it's worth um but yeah they actually did put it up for sale and for whatever reasons they didn't follow through on it but it did happen and um 
to uh, these days, some people try to make believe like it never happened, but it did. And this wasn't the Sun. This wasn't the Daily Mail. I mean, this was the Wall Street Journal that wrote it up, right? And and other you know financial publications. So it it happened. I mean, that was them putting a fishing line in the water, right? Through right. through the financial newspapers. Yeah. So it like a, it's de- it's definitely the end of an era. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. When you when you get into um, GoldenEye, and you, you really don't have any kind of, it's not even trying. When they do the pre-title sequence, which is strangely set in pretty much the, the year that this film is supposed to be coming out, right? Because um, what is it? Six years? Six no, years no, it's or, it says nine years earlier. It, nine it, years it, earlier. It comes out in the year that. Um, Timothy Dalton began filming. So it's like, so, so like some Pierce Brosnan fans say, this is in effect them pretending the Dalton era never happened. This didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, is that, <laughs> is that kind of what they're doing? They're hand waving that away and saying this is a whole new, new thing. Now they're just kind of pretending that, uh, that it didn't happen. I, I, I think, you know, that the, there is a huge stylistic difference between this film and, uh, and Goldeneye. Um, not just in terms of the, you know, the quality of, of, of its production, um, but also in the sense that I think that License to Kill kind of doesn't lean very heavily into being to its Bond roots, despite the fact that it does have um, a slightly more sort of Fleming flavor to it. Um, it. It doesn't necessarily feel very Bondian, whereas... I, I would say that Golden Eyes is, is fairly kind of Bond pastiche in a way, in a good way. But it's Bond by the numbers. Well, but, well, um, also, well, part of that is the music because they they hired Michael Kamen. I, I my understanding is they had hoped to get John Barry back again, but he had health issues at the time. So they ended up hiring Michael Kamen, who had done music for like Lethal Weapon. And so a lot of the music sounds like uh, Lethal Weapon or what's the other thing with uh, Bruce Willis? Die Hard? Um, Die Hard. Hard. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like very much like in that genre. Mm. Um, I think he did do one or two of the Die Hards as well. Yeah. I I, I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much of the, um, I know there's four of us on here that live there, but um, I wonder how much of the US location really didn't do it any favors. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, not. it's not. It's not really what what um, what would be termed as exoticism. Um, I mean, they mean that in the greatest respect, being a, a U.S. resident now. Um, but it's it's kind of um, we're we're used to seeing fairly uh, fairly far flung locales. Um, and I think it kind of takes away from from that kind of. Uh, that well, you go you go escapism. from you go from Florida, which a lot of especially Brits would be familiar with from going to Disney and stuff, right? Yes. So you go from that mm. to a fictional place that yeah. has, you know, so there isn't really anything to hang your hat on, really. Well, and at in at one point in pre production, they were like looking at doing it in China, but that was That's going right. to cost a lot more money. Yep. and. Yep. You know, again, they decided to make uh, Mexico City the home base of the production. Uh, they had to uh, rehabilitate an old uh, studio that had, you know, 
leaking roofs and whatnot. And um, so the art department, you know, rehabbed it. And, you know, it's respectable, but, you know, there's a running comment here or there during, you know, this recording about how this set doesn't seem that, uh, you know, this set should be like fancier because you know, it's a Bond movie and so should this set. And I, I, I suspect that's reflected in the budget. Yeah, I wonder how yeah. much of that decision to go to Mexico was a false economy because mm. they spent so much time in pre-production and budget fixing something up right. to save money and it didn't in the end. Yeah, I, I think that's a fairly true statement. I, I think a lot of, I think they also had a an issue. Did, I, I could be wrong about this, and so please don't quote me on it. But I think there was a fire issue as well with one of the sets. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just find it funny how we did Moonraker last week and we did License Skill this week, and that was a we're going to go overseas for the bulk of the production because we can't afford to film it in the UK. Yeah, and it ended up being a lot. There's, more there's your double bill, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and also, mm. um, so Albert R. Broccoli would have turned eighty the year this movie came out. May, Maybaum also turned eighty that year. They were both born in nineteen oh nine. Um, let's see. Binder was, I think, born in twenty five, maybe, but he had health issues. Um, you know it. it in a, in a way, it's just, you know, the ticking clock was catching up to the franchise in terms of the creative personnel. Well, it is a really weird combination of uh, half feeling a bit like this tired, wheezing thing that these people have been doing for far too long and we need to inject some fresh blood here. Equally, though, it, it feels like it's trying to reinvent itself, do something very different and be something else. And it's a really strange, um, yeah, amalgamation of those things it's yeah, they, one. Right. they were trying to make it darker they were trying to yeah. do that but at the same time you still end up the movie with a winking fish and it's yeah. kind of like <laughs> right. there, there's <laughs> there's times like it can't quite make up its mind what it wants to be i mean it yeah. mostly goes in the direction of dark but mm. you know it kind of comes back here and there yeah i think yeah. i think um it's it's good that it wasn't brosnan doing this because I don't think it could have. Here's an like here's something I thought about. If if Brosnan had got this part and the, the, his contract hadn't been um, picked up, his option hadn't been picked up again for for Remington Steel, and they had gone with him for Living Daylights and License to Kill, I wonder whether that they would have gone more in the direction of um, a view to a kill had been going in. Yeah. And whether it whether it was Dalton who said, I want it I want this to be darker, I want this to come back more to the roots of Fleming. And even and whether we would have had a more kind of Roger Moore styled um Pierce Brosnan in in the latter part of the eighties the uh Bond films and whether well, they would have even been these beasts. Hmm. Well, I, I also remember as a Bond consumer, if you will, in the 80s, I was not particularly enthusiastic about the idea of Pierce Brosnan because on Remington Steel, he just looked like he was like just kind of a lightweight and kind of a bit of a baby face. And I think, you know, it, it was really rough on him to like, you know, have the part and then lose the part. But I think, you know, when he came in in the mid 90s, I just think he like he had like a little harder look to him. I agree. And, he was what? what later thirties at that point, like, and coming, 
if he'd have done, if he'd have, if he'd have got the role ten years earlier, I think he just would have been too fresh faced for it. He wouldn't have had enough mileage on his face. I think as it is, um, he, with the greatest respect to him, he does. He looks the part for Bond, and he does a he does a very admirable performance as Bond. But he isn't the strongest actor in the world, and and that's and when you compare him in his performance, um, you know, to Sean Bean's in Goldeneye, you know, Sean Sean's really got a lot more chops <laughs> um, mm. than than Pierce does. If you know, if if he if he'd have been ten years younger than that, um, it would have it would have felt a little bit like if they'd hired. Uh, Cavill for uh, Casino Royale, you know, he just wouldn't have been able to to do the weightier stuff, mm. um, and maybe perhaps too pretty to um, to really kind of engage with. I I think I think he he looked maybe his best as Bond in Tomorrow Never Dies. You know, when he's actually got a little bit more age on his face, and um, although that's a not not my favorite film, um, I think he's kind of He's kind of getting into that role a bit better at that point. Also, if Brosnan had become Bond in 86, then he would have uh, run into the buzzsaw of all that goofy stuff that was happening at MGM in the early 90s, you know, where it was sold to the one guy who was a crook and, you know, it went goes into bankruptcy and all this. And, you know, and, and as a result, hypothetically speaking, so let's say he does two movies in 87 and 89 the way Dalton did. Then you have a six-year hiatus. Would you know? Would Brosnan yeah. come back for a third? I mean, it didn't I, I'd, I'd have said yes, he would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also well, you've got to remember when they did um, the Living Daylights, there were elements of more stuff that was carrying through. They shot that magic carpet scene, right? Yeah, uh-huh. on the on the Tangier rooftop, right? Which you know, thankfully, was cut out. But if it had been Brosnan, would that have been left in? Um, I, I bet. Yeah, I bet it would have done. Yeah, yeah I think so. Hmm. So I've got a bit of trivia for you. Um, mm-hmm. What connects *License to Kill* to *No Time to Die*? I'll give you a clue. Characters. Anybody? It's the first time. Mm-hmm. *No Time to Die* is the first time since *License to Kill* that M, Money Penny, Q, and Felix Leiter are all in the film. Oh, oh. Mm. Yeah. Huh. and if you think that's if you think that's uh, if you think about it, that's um, thirty years. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. haven't had that ensemble together. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you could argue that Money Penny's hardly in License to Kill, but uh, yeah, she's there. Hmm. I must have missed her. Was she in it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you think of these, you think of them all as kind of the core players for um, for for the Bond films, but really they they aren't always in it together. So, hmm. and Q's obviously going to have an expanded field role in No Time to Die with his mobile lab and all the other stuff that's going on. Hmm. So. Yeah, I did say, remember, I don't know if you, David, Bill, you remember we talked about this like, was it a year ago? It was like, no time to die, connections to license to kill is pretty deep. 
I don't yeah. remember it now. But I think that's just I just I just think that's coincidental. <laughs> Given Kerry Fukunaga's interview where he said he he got to Casino Rail and played Goldeneye and that was it. So yeah. well, plus plus. Plus, with uh, license skill, you have a villain with no socks. Yeah, and yeah, no yeah. yeah. You know, they, they direct with no <laughs> socks. So. From, from license to kill, yeah. So, David, was it as painful as, as you thought it would be? Uh, well, it, it, I, I stuck with it a bit longer than I remembered because it, it's like it's like the first fifty minutes, more or less, are fine. But it's when they when they get to the barrel head. Bar and from from that point to when they re- release when they leave the you know when the, the meditation center or whatever it is blows up basically I, I haven't got a clue what's going on I just can't follow it and you know, <laughs> uh, so if if they just cut that bit that whole section out they'd have a, a very short film but it would work much better for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, in terms of that bar, Bond should never be anywhere close to a Budweiser. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. it's it's fine for Bond to drink beer. I'm not saying that. Just like, but Bond would not drink Budweiser. Hmm. So was it Budweiser or Bud Light? Might, it was Bud Light with a lime. Oh yeah, so it's like it's not even Budweiser. <laughs> like you know, the, I mean, to save the Bud to save the Bud Light brand, they now have Bud Light Seltzer. Is there beer in it? No, but it's got the Bud Light name. Well, you'd um, argue there wasn't any beer in Bud Light anyway. I always used to joke about the Bud Light enjoy responsibly. I'm like, I don't know how you enjoy Bud Light irresponsibly. <laughs> I, I think they just mean from a cal- um, calorie intake um, All right. as opposed to the alcohol intake. Hmm. So, hmm. So did ever like I, I recognize that there's a weight of responsibility on my shoulders for having picked this particular film. Did everyone other than David reasonably enjoy it at least? I've, I've always had a soft spot for license blame. It's one of those. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've always had a soft soft spot for license to kill. Um, I get the production values aren't the same. It's got that made for TV look. The locations don't really work very well, but I, I, I really like Dalton in it. I think he's great. Best thing of the film is his performance. I think. Yeah, mm. I, I think that's true. And, I think you know, I, Carrie I, Lowell's pretty great in it too. So between would, the two of them, I would echo that. Except that I would also say that I happen to think it's a really good narrative. Um, sorry, David, to disagree with you on this. I think it's a. I think it's a really good script. Um, I think if it hadn't, if it had better production values, it would be one of my favorite Bond films. Um, well, I said this on. I'm sorry. I, I said this on a previous uh, installment. I, my impression when I saw it for the first time, was I was thinking, you know, the script needed like another draft, like to put a little more polish on it. Uh, I mean, I knew about the writer strike and all that. Um, it didn't mean it was you know fatally flawed in that regard, but it did. I did compared to like the Living Daylights, it just seemed to like lack a certain mm-hmm. polish and I, and I, I would have to like analyze it. I, I think that's sorry to interrupt, but like, I, I, I find that the living daylights to be one of the messiest in terms of uh, narrative cohesion. Mm. And I just think it's all over the place. Don't really know who's, who's after what, why they're doing it. Who's who's even the real villain in that? Is it Costco? Mm. Is it you know? Is it Whitaker? Um, we don't it's get a tag any team. Kind of, 
it, yeah, but you don't. Yeah, and that's not. But a, but a tag team of two very ineffectual villains who you don't <laughs> give a shit about. Oh, um, don't forget Brad Whitaker. So it's a tag team of three. Who's who is the like? It's Whitaker, Koskov, and who? Whitaker, Koskov. Oh, it's, oh, it's the, just... the henchman, um, Necros. Oh, Necros. Necros. Yeah, but like the the three of them. I mean, like I I just feel like there is there is nothing there, and it keeps meandering off in different directions about opium and diamonds and um, arms weapons dealing. trading. It's just all over the shop, and mm. I don't. Although there, it's it, it's probably got better production values than license. Well, it does have better production values. Yes. Than Kill. It's less of a it's less of a cohesive film. Um, I wish that License to Kill had the had uh, the production values of, of um, Living Daylights and vice versa, because then I could easily just throw one of them away and. Well, well, except for me, um, the Living Daylights does have John Barry doing the music that makes up mm-hmm. for a lot of the flaws you cited, and sure. uh, and also Bender didn't seem like he was phoning in the titles mm. the way he did with License to Kill. In fact, I kind of wonder if there's a shot in the titles of the Living Daylights where a guy is shooting a gun into water, and I kind of wonder if that was like Bender himself because the hand looks kind of shaky. Um, mm. like it's an older guy um. <laughs> I think my uh, uh, final summation of the film um, if I can uh, sum it up now is going to be a bit of a pastiche of what um, Bill, Ben and David were just talking about I, I agree that I think the screenplay did need just another polish there's just one too many henchmen there's just one too many moments where I'm like wait a minute why are they crashing the boat through the dock now I haven't quite right. followed this it is a bit complex uh, but I, I do agree with Ben Like I, I think this is the stronger of the two Dalton ones and um, that's really come for me over time. I used to hate this one when I was sort of becoming a Bond fan. This one, Thunderball, were rock bottom for me. But I have sort of appreciated it more recently. I still, I still brush up against that whole kind of. It does feel like your diehard, your lethal weapon, your '80s American action film. And as soon as you have, the, you know, the motivation of like, oh well, I'm avenging my friend's dead wife and all this kind of stuff it just gets a bit uh i understand that they want to bring personal stakes into it and from this point onwards i think we're always going to have some kind of bigger personal stake for bond whether it's his colleague whether it's the death of a former flame mm-hmm. whether it's the mm-hmm. the main villainess is a you know um a, a love interest of his there's always going to be something there from this point onwards and i think it's handled much better in future installments than it is here which is just your very baseline oh right mm. yep my friend's wife has been murdered and that's it i'm gonna go out and get revenge for it but saying that i think there's a lot of good stuff in it um and yeah it, it, it's the better of the two dalton ones i still think that the living daylights is perhaps a little bit too roger and at that point they'd done so many roger bonds that it was just kind of like okay well we're just going to do another one i appreciate this one for trying to do something different and try to give dalton's series its own identity even if it didn't quite work out well and just to repeat something i said uh i didn't mind watching it at all uh, because it's a historically important film for the series and you know and and one reason some fans knock it is well all the american actors well you 
got a big chunk of the film in America. So that's kind of why, mm. I mean, they'll, <laughs> right. they'll, I mean, they'll cite how, you know, a lot of these actors were on TV because, uh, Don Stroud, Anthony Zerbe, David Hedison, even with his bond tie with live and let die. And I'm sorry, I forget the actors. Just... <laughs> well, well, the other part of casting the film, two point bill, is not only did you have to get American actors, you had to get American actors who were willing to go to some disused studio in Mexico. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Can I, I weigh say, in I, on this? By all means. Um, I feel as though, like, I, I guess I'm just a little different than everyone here. I don't like License to Kill at all. Uh, it is not my favorite film. I didn't say this before we were watching it. Like I will never pop in license to kill as just being an option of a bond film. I do feel as though the living daylights is hands like is, is well above, um, license to kill because I'm a big more fan. And so I, there's so much about the living daylights that I absolutely love from the soundtrack to the performances to, it's got snow and a cello and there's so much uh, dynamism in that film. And while things might not fully like mix together narratively, I think visually that is a film um, that I'm just more connected to. And just to go back to the point about Brosnan, I would have loved to have seen a Brosnan uh, film of the eighties. I think he could have carried it off. Um, and I, I think maybe that's the reason why I'm more connected with The Living Daylights. I find this film to just be a little bit too serious, a little bit too rogue agent um, for my taste in 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 Bond. I think Carrie Lowell was amazing, um, but there's just some elements of License to Kill. Like, it just doesn't work for me as a film. And I think they were trying too hard to tap into what Hollywood was doing at the time and sort of lost some of Bond in the process. And I think it, it ties into yeah. a lot of things that, you know, we were talking about, like this is the end of an era of filmmaking. And it feels as though some of the filmmakers were gassed out trying to figure out what do we do with this series? And I do love the return and the Brosnan era because it's got, it, it, it taps into some of the best things that happened previously. So, well, so would, yeah. you, would you say Lisa that GoldenEye like reinjects vitality? Yeah. And excitement and energy. And I think I just find the previous Dalton film I can get into because I do feel as though even though he is truly in love with with Kara and I feel that love and the music and I'm, I'm in it um I feel that there's still a lightness to that film even though it's dealing with yeah. a heavy subject whereas yeah. this one is just it's 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 yeah. deep and it's it's there the thing that always strikes me but I, I wanted to know what you felt about this Lisa the thing that strikes me about like living daylights is it doesn't feel like an actor's first film mm -hmm. mm. it feels like it would be right in the middle of an actor's tenure to like flop out a uh, living daylights as like a third or a fourth outing. So I don't, I, the problem with Dalton and analyzing Dalton is we only have two to go on. That is true. I mean, had a third happened. I mean, everyone says, Oh, you know, a lot of fans say, Oh, we'd love to see Connery in Majesty's secret service or some other kind of like, second George. I'd like trade all of that for a third Dalton. Mm -hmm. it's, and I think um, so. it's hard to go off on two. And, and it would be like taking the first two Roger Moore films and just like leaving them as is. It's, it's difficult because we can only make do with what we have. And we also here have the luxury of a lot of hindsight, oh, right? Well, how we feel about these Lisa, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant, Lisa. And how Compare about Dalton's first two yeah. in isolation of the, act, the other actors' first two. How does that stack up? Right. Dr. Known Russia, um, Live, Let, Die, and Golden Gun. 
Goldeneye Tomorrow Never Dies, Casino and Quantum. Hmm. Well, and also yeah. from what we do know about the script work that had been done for a third Dalton, you know, there was a, there was a treatment written and I guess there were yeah. like some, we script. should do a whole episode on it. We yeah. should do a whole episode on it because it's it, great. It would have, yeah. I've, I've got a copy. Yes. And it would have been a more, more high tech kind of bigger stakes mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it would have, yeah, it would have been interesting to see what that would have been like. And yeah, we probably should do an episode about that. Um, I would just like to say in sort of my conclusion is that um, it's interesting the kind of the legacy that this film kind of left um, and not necessarily a good, a good legacy. As Calvin said, from now on, there's always a personal stake involved. And it also kind of sets the tone for kind of constantly uh, going off rogue, which to this point he hadn't done, but suddenly it's it, it seems to be included in in far more more of the films, and also the kind of the raising of what would ordinarily be sort of incidental characters such as Q to kind of like more kind of. Uh, less peripheral characters and more kind of front and center. Um, and so we start to see them coming out to the field a bit more um, after this film. And I don't necessarily know whether that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, I think a lot of people do just want to see Bond on a job and, you know, well, just... well, I mentioned this before. I mean, one reason my wife did not like the film a lot was because she didn't like the whole revenge thing. And when we talked about it, she said, hopefully they got that out of their system now. You know, <laughs> the next one. Like, no, they're yeah. just getting started. <laughs> but to echo that, I mean, it through the conversations with my dad, my dad does not like any of the Daniel Craig era films because of this reason that they're all moody and he's constantly like reacting emotionally and there's no fun to it and it's not a standalone narrative and it's just one continuous like uh just groan fest and i think that there are a lot of people who were who who enjoyed some of the earlier films who are like what is going on with the direction of the series now they could be in the minority but there is that sort of expectation. And I've said it, you know, I wanted Spectre to be a standalone Bond film. I want No Time to Die to be a standalone Bond film. Part of me is just tired of the same type of narrative over and over again for Bond. And And I'm like, can he have fun? Can he go on a mission? Can he do something that's not personally driven? And then when we do have one standalone film with Skyfall, they then immediately retconned into being (laughs) part of you know, it's like, just let us have this one. Just, just let us have it. Um, it would be. It would have been like with uh, Skyfall. It would have been like with Goldfinger. They had done a retcon of Goldfinger to say Goldfinger was really working for Spectre all along. He wasn't working. He he wasn't in alliance with the Chinese. It was exactly that. And I yeah. I find that yeah, it, it's insult. It's a sort of an insult to the investment that you've made with with that character. And yeah, to be fair though. To be fair, though, Sam Mendes did it to himself. It wasn't like another director came along and did it. No, that's mm-hmm. yeah. it's not like right. Newton Hicks in, in Aliens. Right, um, that's right. <laughs> so um, nominations um, for next. Uh, I'm assuming we all want to do this next week, or if we like completely demoralise ourselves with the Twitter voting. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love democracy. All right. All right, David, you get to call the first shot. Okay. Well, we haven't had a Daniel Craig era film yet, so I'm going to vote for Quantum of Solace. All right. I'm so happy you didn't say Spectre. <laughs> Just throw that out there. I was holding my breath as you were saying it. I was like, don't do it. We'll do it in two parts if we ever get to that point. No. I'm glad right. you said um, Quantum, because Quantum, Quantum is, is a film that I would, would pick. Uh, it's also shorter. Um. <laughs> right, Calvin, would you like to pick one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for a Brosnan one. I'm going to go for The World Is Not Enough. All right. Lisa? It's not that I want to see this film, <laughs> but I kind of want to see this. <laughs> I sound so mean, but I kind of want to see the pink tie. Uh, oh. Diamonds are forever. <laughs> Diamonds are forever. Just because I know it'll be grown worthy at least that oh moment. My. Oh, you're. Yeah, You're I think welcome. my vote's going to that, actually. I, th- yeah. <laughs> I think we're all right. I'll, uh, I'll nominate one that no one will vote for to try and <laughs> send things David's way. I'll nominate 1954 Casino Royale. <laughs> oh. Interesting. Because if, if, if lightning strikes and it gets voted, at least we don't have to worry about length. No. Right. <laughs> I All don't right, know if that's should... even technically possible, but I'll I'll nominate it anyway, just for throwing you know, away so. your vote like that. It's like yeah. <laughs> not voting for Biden. Well, I um, would. <laughs> well, I was thinking Thunderball, but no, um, I know it's not popular with this group. You split so. the vote, with David, on that one. Yeah, yeah so I'll I'll say 1954 Casino Royale. I I, I think Diamonds is going to get this one. I think we're all going to be talking about Diamonds yeah. this time next week. You're oh, welcome. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, that, um, just all right, folks. Um, say thank you. Uh, and um, may all your fish wink. <laughs> Bless your heart. Oh, <laughs> Have a good week, folks. Stay safe. Cheers. See you next week. Talking. Mm. Hey, baby. Thought you were the one who tried to run away, yeah Ooh, baby, was another one who made you want to stay Please don't bet that you'll ever escape me Once I got my sights on you, I got a license to kill Sex.
Kill. 